I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. This is actually the fourth in a series that I began with Digital Cowboys all the way back in 2009 when we talked with many, many listeners and other podcasters about the entire Zelda series up to that point culminating in Spirit Tracks. Then Skyward Sword for Digital Gonzo in early 2012, then a whole bunch of others in 2017, including A Link Between Worlds, and after the longest time ever, it seems, we are back on Epona. Now, the last big console release was the aforementioned Skyward Sword on the Wii in late 2011, which you may remember got a little bit of love from me for some of the Wii Motion Plus mechanics and the music. But the presentation to me was a nightmare of forcing you to wait while the game explained what a rupee was for the hundredth time and then playing a bunch of stupid, annoying and tricky carnival games, which rather than being optional, were absolutely enforced for progression. And the stealth sections were punishing and frustrating and the overlong adventure was bogged down with so much filler and repetition, holding your hand, forcibly holding your hand every step of the way, it drove me bug shit nuts. Many years passed and Nintendo made pretty much the complete opposite game. And that's what we are talking about tonight. For many, especially on release, Breath of the Wild was frustrating in new ways, and a lot of folks bounced off it for reasons that we will go into with good faith. You are right to find these things annoying, and we won't say you're playing it wrong. Same with me bouncing off every Souls-like game pretty much that's ever been made. Some mechanical systems are just insurmountable for certain brain types, while they are greatly appealing to others. It's the reason I love movies intensely, but find reading difficult because I get distracted. That isn't a reflection on books, it's a reflection on me and the brain that I live with. However, Breath of the Wild is also the pinnacle and favourite of the long-running series of Zelda games for many others, myself included, for reasons that we will most definitely be going into. In fact, in preparation for this show, I researched ranked list after ranked list after ranked list and found the results to be incredibly erratic across the series. It made crunching the numbers feel weirdly arbitrary in terms of placement of most of the games. The only commonality between almost all of these lists was that the last two, and they were interchangeable in terms of which was one and which was two, were Breath of the Wild and Ocarina of Time. It has been many years, and a lot of the systems and elements we now take for granted have kind of filtered down into other games, or or it just it feels like it might not feel as new and fresh because we waited so long with this. But we want to kind of bring you back to an appreciation of why this felt so different, especially if you're listening years and years in the future and you've already rinsed Tears of the Kingdom. Much like Twilight Princess on the GameCube and then on the Wii, Breath of the Wild was originally intended as the last significant game on the Wii U and was simultaneously released in 2017 to be the first significant game on the Switch. Many years after release, it still tops lists of best games on both systems. And with us to discuss this rich, near-infinitely playable and replayable experience are... 
James Batchelor of the Bond and Beyond podcast. Hello. Brendan Agnew of Synapse. Greetings. Eric Jones, co-host of PhotoFlow, Terror in the Stars. Good day. Good day. From our recent show on Mario Kart and the one on Speed Racer, it's Name Chaibiti. Hello. And from our classic shows on Resident Evil, it's Derek Ritchie. Hi there. Hello. So, <clears throat> first major question. This is the big one, and it could take up the whole show if we're not careful. I've got like 10 questions, 10 bullet points to talk about, and we could make most of it just this one. So if we look at 2011's Skyward Sword as the place that the Zelda series had gotten to, setting aside the sublime link between worlds retooling of Link to the Past on 3DS, that was in 2013, what major design decisions were made for 2017's Breath of the Wild and what non-Zelda games would you say seem to have been influences on the Blue Shirt game? I'll go with the obvious one. It's the complete shift away from dungeons. Mm-hmm. Um, Skyward Sword is all dungeons. Like, there isn't even really an overworld. There are just more dungeons. There are the dungeon outside the dungeon, and then you complete that dungeon to get into the dungeon. Um, <laughs> it's dungeons within dungeons. It's dungeons within dungeons. Um, Some might say trying to play the game is like being locked in a dungeon. Very much so. <laughs> I'd still, I, I, loads of people getting really excited about Skyward Sword HD last year on Switch, and like, oh, this is, you know, this is really much better than you remember. It's like, no, I remember it pretty well. It's not good. I um, bought it day one. Played it day one and went, oh, it, I, I like the presentation more. They have sped up some things, but I remember this thing. I'm, I'm going to try not to spend the rest of the, like, the rest of the episode like slagging off Skyward Sword. Yeah, no, we did I, a whole episode on it. Just <laughs> so I think we did <laughs> yeah. that on a previous episode. Yeah. So, um, so I was reading about this. And Skyward Sword was largely designed um, because Japanese players don't like to get lost. That's the theory that I've read, is the Japanese players don't like to get lost. It's huh. why Mario Galaxy is quite linear in that there's a very strict um, sequence of which planetoids you jump between. What a bit, um, from software or a Japanese company? I, with it, I look, I'm just quoting the stuff I read. Um, I played Final Fantasy... Um, so what's the most easy to get lost? 12. <laughs> well, the, the point is, like, of most Nintendo franchises, you can't get lost. You mm. can't really get lost. There's not really, but Zelda obviously stands out from that because um, it's usually like a large open world. Certainly, Ocarina onwards, when there's a much larger kind of 3D open world, it can be confusing as to where to go. So they skip this and they streamlined it. And they cut out the open world and they just did it just dungeons. There are outside areas, so there's like the forest bit, the desert bit, and the volcano bit. But those were almost dungeon-like in their own way because there was always like a puzzle you had to solve to get to the dungeon. Um, the fact so, that you couldn't run from the desert to the forest was yeah. a huge deal. It made it really feel like you were disappearing down a hole and then coming back up again to disappear down one of the other two holes you were allowed to. And the fact that there was naff all to do in the open, in the overworld, the we're sky. Doing it again. Like, <laughs> no, we're doing it again. Okay, just go back and listen to the Skyward episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it it's, was, to, it's it, to illustrate how this is the opposite. Yeah. 
so there was there was no there was no incentive to explore. There was no real reward for going off the beaten path because you were far from it. I, re- I remember when I talked about that that crystal that I found, and I was like, okay, so when someone's going to say they lost a crystal, I can see where it is. I'll remember that for later. And I kept trying to like knock it off the thing, and it wouldn't let me knock it off. It wouldn't let me find it until the person told me they'd lost it. Then suddenly I couldn't not go to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, well, famously Don't as well, like the, whatever you do. Famously as well, like the the you know, the game originally had like a, a game breaking bug where, um, throughout the main campaign you went forest, de- no, forest volcano desert, forest mm. volcano desert, and for the last act you could choose which order to go in. But if you didn't go forest first, there was a glitch and the game broke and you had to start again. So you went forest volcano desert. Oh my god, is that is that present in the HD version? I don't think so. I think they no, fixed. I, that. think I mean they that's pretty harsh. It. No forest, we're wiping your save. <laughs> Didn't they I mean, release like an update on the Wii? It was like the first Zelda game to get an update to fix oh. that glitch. If if they did, I'd given up by that point. <laughs> I'd, no, they, I'd, they, I'd forced they, my way they, through they. the game and then like I am never playing this again. You're right. That was uh, the eighth day after release. That they. Uh, they <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I would actually argue that one of the one of the things that is sneaky about Breath of the Wild is it does veer so hard far farther away from the more linear path of Skyward Sword. Mm. But what it does is it takes a lot of the ideas from Skyward Sword and just applies them to the open world. I would argue that Breath of the Wild is one giant dungeon, and that's like that underpins everything about how it uses shrines for upgrading your abilities and and how it like designs the map so you spiral around it um, in the like the way that it kind of in in like first starts to point you in directions to go. It's mm. it's like the, the the this whole area is a dungeon in Skyward Sword, but that's well, just everything. That's, well, I that's think, the entire world. I think the thing is Breath of the Wild is dangerous in its open world which i i can never remember zelda necessarily being a dangerous thing within its open world setting Mm. it was never something that you realistically needed to worry about because you just went from a to b the hardest problem you ever had was actually figuring out where b was a lot of the time because the signposting wasn't necessarily great but it was never dangerous. Whereas I think the, the most dangerous overworld bit was when you were approaching the drawbridge for the first time in Ocarina and it started closing as the sunset mm-hmm. because you literally couldn't get there in time. And then you were like, well, what do I do? If you didn't know to double back and go to Lon Lon Ranch, you'd be stuck with skeletons trying to clobber you till morning. Exactly. Whereas this Breath of the Wild moved that more on its head by really pretty much from the start, to be fair, teaching you early on you, if you don't pay attention, you you're gonna die mm. quickly, mm. very quickly. Mm. And it weaponizes a lot of the things that it, it that Skyward Sword introduced, like some of the collection things and the the way certain things will degrade and the stamina. But but then it just uses all of those in like a this is a part of everything, not just certain little gameplay paths or upgrade paths. No, this this is a part of a physics system that applies to the entire world. You don't have a Navi. I hadn't even thought about that. Now you don't have a Navi or a... What's the name of the, the Minish Cap? Ezlo? Oh. Ezlo, yeah. well done. Uh, and Midna in uh, Twilight Princess. Someone poking you and saying, maybe go over there. Mm. Yeah. I think the only, the only other thing is, Breath of the Wild likes to give you a lot of its toys early. Mm. Whereas previously, you go into a dungeon, you get a thing, that thing you will use throughout the dungeon, and then on the boss... 
and then you might use it again later on for various bits and bobs but Breath of the Wild really just said no we're going to give you all the toys it's up to you how to use them we're not going to tell you you figure it out and that's a lot different because you, you then do wander about a lot of time and go oh right well how do I use this within the context of the world as opposed to the context of a dungeon in isolation The, the mobility, I think, is a, is a huge aspect. Mm. If you're looking at the differences between Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild, mm. Skyward Sword, it gives you a lot of mobility options in one... Well, it, I mean, it, it lets you fly in one very limited area, which is there, there's a lot of thrill to be had in controlling the bird. But then again, with, with Breath of the Wild, it's all about giving you an incredible amount of mobility options mm. between mounts, the the gliding, and then the way your your different abilities from the champions affect that. Mm. And and what it is, it's it's just all about being able to to cross this incredibly ambitiously sized world. I think it's in terms of ambitiously sized. I think it's worth saying that when I play Breath of the Wild, I find myself play, playing it as if it was World of Warcraft. I've put World of Warcraft down as one of the uh, cl the clear influences on this one. Yeah, the fact that there is so much else that you can do if you lose interest in following the main or even the side pa mm. uh, quest paths. The double-edged sword of that one, though, is uh, we we have a friend uh, Paul who has podcasted with us many many times. Uh, really like, like must have a Japanese brain because he really likes the structure uh, of being told. The next place you go is here. Here it is marked clearly on the map. Here's a line to it. Uh, and I think he bounced straight off this game because it is a daunting fucking prospect. They they start you on the Great Plateau, which seems massive, and then you realize eventually this is a little island in this sea surrounding me and not in the Wind Waker style. <laughs> you can literally walk everywhere. It, it in fact made me going back to the Wind Waker in HD uh, on the Wii U quite limiting i was like man I'd, I'd really love to explore but everything feels so like limited by the sea and the amount of sailing you do is mental so uh, it, it, in a way it feels like and i've put this down just as one of my notes there's no going back from this now there is going back from this but there's no you can't put back in the bottle the level of appeal that this mode of Zelda had on so many people. So even though it turns a lot of folks off, and I actually had Sharon play every single Zelda game for a bit, from the NES version all the way up to uh, Breath of the Wild, just so that she could familiarize herself with the way it has evolved, there's certain classic Zelda games that were massively appealing to a bunch of people who were like, this is not my Zelda at all. And it, it's actually quite... Um, disheartening because it's such a huge thing and everyone else is talking about how amazing it is and if you feel kind of alone by going I just I, I want the master sword I don't want a stick that breaks or worse a great sword of the grand king's guard of Hyrule expertly crafted strong shiny intimidating breaks within five enemies 
Oh. It is so jarring. Like, and I, I grant you, I haven't played through every single Zelda, you know, recently. But like playing, I started this again for this podcast. Um, really kind of re-emphasize something that I felt when I first start. You're weak. You start weak, and you're weaker than you ever start in any of the previous Zelda games. Like most, most of the previous Zelda games, yes, you start off weak. You know, three hearts. But most enemies you come up across can still be killed in like one or two hits. Mm. Ocarina of Time, like you know, your first enemies are Deku Babas, so basically mm-hmm. plants rooted to the ground. Move. Yeah, they don't move at you. They can't move. They can't come and get you. What's the Deku shrubs? But they mm. hide in their specific little things. So you've they, just got to deflect. They spit at you, so that's just to yeah. teach you how to use your shield. Yeah. And and gradually the enemies become harder. Now in this one, enemies do become harder. You start off with against like kind of the red mob goblins, and later you get like sort of the black and white goblins, and like you know the, there's a color scheme as to who you know, which ones become harder. Mm. But you are so much weaker. The amount of times you die on the Great Plateau. I think I've died more on the Great Plateau both playthroughs than I did entire Zelda game like in in the past oh yeah, yeah and and it's and it's it's that's an uncomfortable feeling if you're a series veteran like you are your link you're the chosen one you're the mighty hero you don't die from the most basic enemies mm. and that can be really frustrating so I, I a friend of mine actually picked up a switch last year and i said oh you absolutely have to get zelda and he got it and he he gave up after about i think about five six hours because like, it's just too hard i don't understand i don't get it and i was like no no you gotta no. keep but then now i've played it again i can see because you can easily and i think I know, we've been talking about this on twitter when we've been um, talking about our playthroughs yeah. you can easily shoot yourself in the foot and make it hard for yourself i forgot slash didn't pay attention about armor ratings so i went to the on you know, the second playthrough i did the gate great plateau I then thought, right, I'm going to skip. I, I'd heard there was like different dialogue, ever so slightly different dialogue. If you go straight to a, a divine beast without going to Kakariko Village, yikes! So, oh, I remember yeah. you saying this. I was like, why is he doing that? I don't know. I don't know. I look back. I, I want a different I dialogue. I, 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 <laughs> yes, I, I, the dialogue is. <laughs> yeah, it's Impa going. Why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Um, it's Impa telling you you're an idiot, which you guys had already told me. Yeah. I basically, I thought, I'm well, as long as it was just... reinforced, it was. Thank you. <laughs> I was gonna just basically try and blitz through the the divine beast without the need because I didn't remember what you really get for going to Kakariko Village. So I went straight for Zora Domain. All right, right. I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna get Mifa's Grace. So I've got the healing ability. I'm gonna go straight to um, Return. I'm gonna get Rivali's Gale so I can fly, and then I'll go from there i spent so long trying to get up azora's river in just a warm doublet <laughs> trousers i and can do this arm. i can definitely do this in my ragged trousers I, the, my collect- the sound you hear is not the pitter patter of the rain it's a thousand hands slapping a thousand foreheads it was so difficult and i don't know what i what i ended up doing was i went to hatino village i skipped still get skipped kakariko i went to hatino village bought myself just the standard hylian gear mm-hmm. instantly you got 15 instantly i'm like more than three times four times five times as powerful as i was and i didn't die every two seconds but even then it was still difficult and like that granted probably there are some speedrunners who are like yeah i beat it with a deku leaf i just i, I used a twig and beat speedrunners are nuts speedrunners yeah. and do you know and anyway i was gonna say i don't know where, where to say this anyone who plays this in a hurried fashion is playing it wrong i'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, we can't say people are playing it wrong bear with me I, 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 I agree with you alex like i don't think there are ways to play something wrong there I are however a, immense benefits to taking your time absolutely i am so glad i wasn't one of the people who had to like review this or something oh, God. because like i'm playing through it for this i mean we've had what two or three weeks and 
I, my first playthrough was like four or five we months. We had most of April. We started, I was planning this mm. in early April. It is now the 1st of May. 1st of okay. May. We've had one month. My first playthrough took me four or five. And yeah. playing this, like, it's just not as enjoyable. You can't, this is a game that needs to be savoured. You mm. can't rush through it. You can't be methodical or, like... It doesn't feel as good to play if you're going to be methodical. Right, I'm going to go get this dungeon, then this dungeon, then this, and then this. You just have to go through it at, at your own pace and discover. Yeah. One of the biggest problems that can come from that is you could easily go through large sections of this game not improving yourself in your ability to either stamina or hearts mm. or armor because it just doesn't want to tell you in a way that people are used to. It wants to tell you, but not in a way that is in your face, go here, do this, you will get this. And if you're not doing the shrines, which I'm sure we'll come on to, if you're not going out and exploring, you can have a really low heart rating for an extended period of time in this game because you just look at the shrines and you go, oh, I don't really see the point, they don't, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to get on with the main quest, I want to go on through that. It's a game that you can really hinder yourself, and uh, as I said, you get you can get to a point that it's actually a bit disheartening because you oh, just yeah. feel you're banging your head, especially if you end up when you're exploring in the wrong place, and you're just getting lasered every five seconds. Oh, those like, fu- uh, like if you're new to the game and you get bombarded by guardians. You could be forgiven for thinking, literally no one could play this. Why do I feel like a freak? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, it's not just hearts. I only found out in this playthrough in the past week or so how important stamina is. Like, when I was uh, just starting out, I was like, well, hearts, obviously. I can climb most things I'm required to climb. I, it's always a little bit tight when I get to the top, but I, if it gets really bad, I can eat some climby stuff to, get, to regain some stamina. I hadn't attributed everything else stamina is towards. Like, um, the, just the, the gliding, the... Uh, Horse taming. Horse taming. The, uh, I, I didn't even... Swimming. I, was, I wasn't doing horses right. Swimming. I was drowning in the middle of uh, uh, puddles. And this time around, I got a whole extra circle of stamina. And I've had so much more of a rich experience being able to do things without going, oh, well, obviously you fell off the mountain, you billock! Yeah, this this playthrough was the first time I actually had to come up with like a, uh, uh, a strategy on how I was to um, level up myself, you know, mm. so to speak. I actually came up with a, I was like, okay, because I, I needed, I was like, all right, I know I need hearts. Um, I was like, but I got to keep the stamina going at somewhat a consistent level. Mm. So for this playthrough, which I which I didn't really do on my fir- first one, I was doing get two hearts, then a piece of stamina, mm. two hearts, then a piece of stamina, unless I did a divine beast, which I would count as like a, uh, a free heart. From my first playthrough to this one, um, how I was, I almost sort of had to just sort of plan um, the whole, you know, plan the whole thing. But um, yeah, uh, I remember I was trying to uh, leap from the Akala uh, tech lab Mm -hmm. to the labyrinth out there. And I tried about three or four different angles trying to because and like well i don't want to i don't want to use these uh to to do the stamina just yet and i would try to leap and get a different angle and it wasn't working and eventually i just had to go back and then i've also started cooking um 
foods and stuff because I wasn't doing that on my first uh, playthrough for first stamina. Actually, I wasn't doing. Actually, I wasn't doing any cooking for anything really, what? other than just other than you to regain cooking. Hearts. That's other, Sharon's other favorite to, thing. Other than other than to regain hearts, but I wasn't paying attention to it as far as you mean uh, buffs and get, things. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Getting uh, buffs and stuff like that. I would like I said mostly just to just to regain uh, hearts. So this time mm-hmm. I was taking more advantage of some of those systems. That, that sounds similar to how I did like my first playthrough. Once you figure out that you have to have a certain number of hearts for the Master Sword, I was I was trying to do some calculus of like, okay, I want to try and get the Master Sword soon, so I'm going to need hearts, but I also yeah, want to like, too. yeah, also I also want to climb this mountain. And then and then this, you know, we might get on to more like this kind of thing later. But I I kind of broke the game a little bit by getting the Master Sword early. Yeah, you know what? That made my game so much better. Like if you if not for your first go, because that feels like a major achievement but if you're going back in a second time to be able to get the master sword really early you're like oh oh so that's a load off like you can always rely on that if you ever get cornered and all your other weapons break it really sort of i think streamlines the way the the fun loop of the weapons system is supposed to like function mm. I, I, like getting getting that kind of like unlocks this last little bit of of like oh wait here's where the potential of this is if you have this just like a little bit earlier to, earlier to fall back on and then you just have that much more breathing of like okay i don't have to do this much in terms of building up hearts i can build up my stamina a little bit more and try and like skip around to rito village and get Rivali's gale earlier hmm. and that lets me reach higher places and then it just like cascades from there Okay, I've got a short list here of games that I suspect may have had some kind of creative influence on this. Some of them were released so close that it's almost like, you know, these are just things that happen to have similar features. But if I say what they are, uh, how about you folks tell me what you think might have been drawn from those things. So, for example, the major influences, I think, aesthetically, are Ghibli films. Hmm. Princess Mononoke. Yep. I'm not going to claim, claim that as my own idea. I watched there's an excellent uh, video on YouTube. I think it's with eyes unclouded. Um, unclouded by hate. You mean uh, was that Josh's? I would eyes. support that, but also add Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind with a side of um, Castle in the Sky mm-hmm. for for a lot of the the ruined robot designs. Yeah, agreed. I'd also say Spirited Away for the places that are more populated, like if you, uh, Hitano, uh, Kakariko Village in particular, when you go up Impa's uh, little tower of steps, feels very Spirited Away, and every single dragon that I see, and it goes, and it makes that dragon music, I'm just thinking of uh, Haku. With Eyes Unclouded, how Studio Ghibli inspired Breath of the Wild by Beyond Ghibli. 15 minute video um absolutely amazing really good editing kind of showcasing gameplay from the game and then clips from ghibli films but particularly princess mononoke which after watching this video i absolutely need to bloody watch you've not seen um, it oh it's so good i know what well, yeah it looks good so yeah i, I was impressed like I, I remember when the game came out people were like, oh it's very kind of ghibli-esque i'm like mm, i is it? And I watch it like, no, it's very, it is very much the Ghibli Zelda game. Yeah, Mononoke is the opposite of a power fantasy. If you watch it like thinking, oh, there's going to be an action film with this guy. He's kind of like Link and he's got this uh, bow and arrow. It's about ending combat, which again puts it in, it's a spiritual successor to uh, Nausicaa. Okay, so next game, actual game, Shadow of the Colossus. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's also in Shadow of the Colossus that is in this? 
This is not saying this is derivative. I love all these influences. Long stretches of peaceful grasslands with soothing music. Racing on your horse to your next place. Mm. Is it climbing up something for a long time only to fall off at the last moment because your stamina has run out and you didn't realise? It is! Attempting to defeat something that's a thousand times bigger than you are by stabbing it in the foot. Yes. In fact, if anything, uh, I I've, I've, I've saw a video where they were uh, talking about the final battle with Ganon and saying, wouldn't it have been cooler if you could like climb up him like a colossus? Dark Souls. The the combat with the, the timing of the parries and the the way enemies will just absolutely wreck you, I think, feels like a, the first obvious connection there. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'd also say the, the world, the ancient ruined world telling a story as you go around and finding out more about it in little dribs and drabs. Yeah. The fact that it marks where you died, albeit that in this case it's to say, don't go back there again. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> Avoid those big red X's. Um, okay, Witcher 3? Well, other than just the, the obvious, like, they both let the horse run on the road by itself. Um, <laughs> um, also, uh, like, the, I, I never got my head around uh, potions and elixirs in uh, Witcher 3, like, preparing for battle with that. This has a simplified version, which is much more agreeable, and I feel like I'll probably be better at Witcher 3 if I ever play it again. It, it also feels like they both, they're very different kinds, but they both have a lot of, like, emergent moments in terms mm. like with Zelda it's much more about like emergent gameplay and discovery and with Witcher it's it's like the more emergent like narrative stuff they've put into the side quests oh and the wind frosting the grass all the time Assassin's Creed one two three four black flag <laughs> etc just all Ubisoft games where you have to climb a tower to reveal the map bingo agreed and also the stealth like yeah. there's a surprising amount of stealth in breath of the wild and that i you know has the assassin's creed dna all over it i love capital l capital o capital v capital e that most of the stealth is not enforced the amount of mm. enforced stealth in previous zelda games that fucking fortress at the beginning of uh wind waker Oh. It just <laughs> murders my enjoyment or engagement with the game, and often it stops me in my tracks. And I'm just like, why is the game better because of this? Stop me, didn't it? That's where I gave up. Yeah. Mind you, the only thing I've used stealth for in uh, Breath of the Wild so far is catching fireflies. <laughs> Might I suggest the stealth outfit? It looks cool, mm. and sneaking up on uh, Boko goblins and poking their asses with mm. pitchforks is great. Okay. I will say the one thing about the stealth is. <clears throat> It's still not as stealthy as you think it is, mm. because if you just click down and you think, I'm crouching, I'm silent, mm. unless you actually pay attention to what that, the sound bar in the bottom corner, which again, mm. does the game really tell you that it exists? Mm. Nah, it just kind of, it just kind of points it out. There's a lot of things to look at, a lot of dials yeah. and widgets, and it's a bit like looking at a car dashboard at times. So I, I spent a long time trying to sneak up on a boar mm. and going... Why on earth does this boar know? I'm oh. crouched. I'm, but it's only when I realise no, I actually literally have to push the stick, yeah. really slowly mm. at the same time that I'm crouched. That I'm and, yeah, crouched. and crouch because like otherwise you get off one arrow and the ball runs away. You're like brilliant, brilliant. Like I shot him in the face and he still didn't die. <laughs> Most frustrating one for that was like there's um there's a shrine quest off 
near Mount Lanero, I believe, mm-hmm. where you have to you have to ride a stag to a platform and I've that will open that the thing. Yeah, you have to ride to this platform and that opens the um the shrine. Got it. And there's like a few stags nearby, but again, like you're like massive open fields. It's not like, like a forest where it won't see you coming. Yeah. And so you have to be like really sneaky. I think that is the first time in the entire and that was one of my, that was when I was like on the first playthrough trying to clear up the last you know 10 20 shrines mm. that's one i had missed and that was one was like oh yeah hang on this game has got a whole stealth system and that's where i was like oh no i need some stealth potions and a stealth uniform and like did, and i hadn't really used stealth beyond the one in four stealth section yeah. um in the Gerudo desert which i enjoyed because I'm like oh yeah there's some stealth in here but yeah it's stealth it, it again it's one of those systems that's there but it's not signposted or enforced to the point where you, I forgot about it a lot of the time. Yeah, these there are invisible systems and actual invisible numbers counting up. I'm going to talk about that in the weapon section, which we're just coming up to. But that a lot of players who actually like those numbers would be like, oh, okay, I, that I can understand. Whereas with Breath of the Wild, it's like, don't be seen. Okay. <laughs> How do I do that? Uh, just cause. Yeah, yeah. Base jumping, jumping and gliding and messing around stuff up as well. Like uh, if you, I don't know if you know this, but you can attach those balloons that you get from Octorox to pretty much anything and make them float. You can make those rafts float if you uh, if you play your cards right. Those the the wooden things. Could you sneak up on a bokoblin and make it fly away? No, but you could (laughs) attach a bomb to a balloon and then use a boko leaf to blow it towards a bokoblin camp and then detonate it. I found out about that watching videos. Videos on YouTube are your friend. If you're just starting maybe try for a bit and then just look it up if it's kicking your ass because it is more worthwhile you pushing forwards than having something in this game spoiled because frankly if it's making you frustrated and upset that's spoiling it more than any other revelation of things that happen could spoil in the game and later game players you when you decide i know how this game works you find out shit you had no idea was actually going on in the background So, the weapon system. Why is it a major stumbling block, and how can we embrace it and find the benefits? I don't think it's a stumbling block. I think you just have to learn very quickly, I need to make sure I have got supplies of weapons. But, if you come from a Zelda game where nothing breaks, you don't think to yourself, I need a supply of weapons. Mm, Except the giant's knife. (laughs) Yeah, and the thing that I found at the start of this game a lot was I got into situations where I was like, oh, wait a minute, I've literally not got a weapon I can use anymore because the other one's broken. Mm. And that's, but it's it's just a learn, but it's one of those learning curves. I think the one thing about Breath of the Wild overall is just, you either will go in and you'll think the systems are great and you'll embrace it and you'll get used to it, or you will bounce off it so hard that you'll be like, ah, uh, nah, nah. Mm. No, no. And this is one of those systems where you just have to be like, okay, I actually need maybe five. I need five poking sticks. I need a couple of swords. <laughs> five poking. Get me five poking sticks. Every single spear I just ended up calling a poking stick. Basically. <laughs> um, so don't underestimate X, spears. They are great, actually. Yeah. And X amount, yeah, because the actual distance you get is quite handy mm. for... Um, but, and 
and that sort of stuff. But you, again, if you don't think about that beforehand, and I definitely had it at the start of the game, you would go into situations and you'd be like, all oh, right, this weapon's broken. This, what am I left with? I'm left with a branch. Great. See, my theory is that there are some people in the middle, it's not a massive cross-section, but some people who will see the benefits of this game if we describe it from a certain point of view. Well, the one of the interesting things about the way this, this weapon system works is it basically takes melee weapons and treats them as an ammunition resource. It's You, you don't think of using melee weapons like basically bullets in a gun but that is that is how this functions in a, in a very weird sort of way mm. and what that does in it, it's like the halo of zelda games it's like okay you're gonna because you're going to basically run out of bullets for your sword you've got to learn what else works for my fighting style mm. it, it are these are these big axes handy to use it all do i like the spear Oh my gosh, I really love the spear because I can throw it and I can keep things at, at arm's distance, you know. Mm. How is that going to affect and then you start and then you start you know, like like they said, you start stockpiling. You start like, okay, what do I want to have in store as a just in case sort of thing? That's a good comparison, uh, Halo, because yeah. we don't consider that our assault rifle breaks, but if you can't find any ammo and you're in a part of a level where they're not gonna give you any ammo, but there's needlers everywhere. It is effectively, to all intents and purposes, broken. And since you only have two slots there, you may as well swap it for something you can use. I think my issue with that is, whereas Halo... Halo, yeah, you're right. Like, once you've run out of ammo, your weapon is useless. useless. But you can find more ammo for that weapon. So You might. Gun... You might be trekking a sniper rifle through most of the level without actually you... finding any more sniper rifle ammo. My very limited experience of Halo has not been that bad, it has to be said. But, like... <laughs> But maybe I'm maybe I'm playing Halo wrong. No, we don't play games wrong. Um, but I, I <laughs> well, I'm trying not to say people play games wrong. I mean, there no, there I are know, obviously I... ways of playing games wrong, but I just I don't. No, I, I feel I, like I, this I, game is one where it's like you can benefit from doing these things and knowing these things about it. Yes. So, so with with Halo though, like if there is a weapon that you you particularly get on with well with that you enjoy that you feel more powerful with you'll feel more comfortable with you assault can rifle. hold on to it and then just, the assault rifle yeah you can hold on to the assault rifle and then just keep swapping the other weapon mm. slot until mm. you've got ammo again for your original weapon that's true but with breath of the wild if there's a particular bow or a sword or something that like brilliant this is exactly what i want i'm really i'm happy with like the damage rating and the mm. elemental effect or like the amount of bows that is like right this fires five hours at once or is i got my first one of those today after five years I, yeah. I, I had avoided lionels like the plague yeah which i actually do avoid and uh, <laughs> but and and i was like this is so awesome why have i been avoiding lionels but, but that's They're the thing. Great. Like once you once you then lose that that bow, it is gone. I mm. was looking back. I would much have appreciated a, a Far Cry Two style weapon system where yeah, those weapons can like jam and degrade and so forth. But somewhere hidden in the map is an unbreakable version of each one. Mm. So if you know where it is or if you explore, you can find that and you can make the game kind of similar to what we were saying earlier. Like if you if you blitz through and get the Master Sword earlier, mm. you're going to have an easier time of it. Like I was like, with Far Cry 2, I know where there's a silent... I think there's like a golden silenced MP5. Also, like, you can buy uh, guns in... Well, Far Cry 2 is on the, um, uh, the list of uh, influences I've got here, but I was saving it to talk about here. For folks who haven't played it, all the enemy guns are rusted 
and janky and will jam for you, but the enemy never experienced jams. It's annoying, yeah. but I kind of loved it as a system because it created emergent gameplay where I was desperately like, shit, my gun jammed, and I grab a rusty gun from the floor because it's the only thing available, and I'm about to run away, and I turn around, pull the trigger, and that jams. And I'm like, ah, shit! But just those sudden bursts of... It was almost like the game was quietly throwing dice in the background to work out whether this thing was uh, going to jam or not. But you can by using blood diamonds a shotgun that you can get to all the time hmm. it also I, feels I, like they were close to a really elegant solution of just being able to repair weapons since you're constantly yeah. going around looking for ore you get the flashing red signal when it's about to break why not just like take some flint some iron ore go to a gorn and say hey make this not broke no more because there are certain weapons I think it's the ceremonial trident in Zora's Domain the boulder breaker in Goron City and probably one for each of the other champions there are certain weapons where if it does break you can go back to them with certain yeah. materials and they will make you another one this wonderful unique weapon that has been passed down by generations they can just <laughs> rustle one up in five minutes Dude, the you. boulder breaker is just leaning up against a wall they keep like you take it then the person who owned that boulder breaker walks out looks at the wall and goes I was just literally about to go and break some boulders. Oh, well, I guess I'll go to the black, the stonesmiths and have another one made. I'll just, I'll put it there and trust that no one's going, what the fuck is gone? <laughs> and I was like, I love these boulder breakers. Thank you. Keep leaving them there. I'm saving the world. Saving the world. I will say one thing, though. This variety of weapons that you get in this game means that you actually get quite skilled in the use of different sets. Yeah far more than you ever did in any of the other previous Zelda games because you just got your sword and you got your shield and you're like I'm good and you know is it far away I'll use my slingshot or my boomerang yeah. is it something I need to blow up or use my bomb whereas here actually what happens is you go right so I want to become really good with a sword and shield do I want to figure out the parry or do I want a lot of my attacks at this point to be ranged hmm. so do I want a spear so I can keep the distance between someone that's got a sword and there's an extra layer that comes in here with this game that just wasn't really there before because it was very much slot A fits into tab B because you get this weapon and it's used for this thing. And neither of the two will ever change in the history of Zelda mm. until now. So two things. One is that the makers of this game maybe not the best way. Their decision on this was we want people to play kind of chaotically. We want people to try a whole load of different things and experiment and be occasionally delighted with sudden unexpected results. So they were urging us to like, you know, kill a Bocco, but your, your, your club broke. Luckily he dropped a bigger club or he dropped a different a stick or an arm. Yeah. And they wanted you to kind of have more of a frantic fight than just, I like this spear. I will keep going around and stabbing people with this spear, and when it breaks, I'll just take it to the blacksmiths and reforge it. They wanted to avoid you using the easiest way round. Like, yeah, find the path of least resistance, your easy way of grinding. And effectively, that would have turned the game into doing the same thing, even though you were good at it and it was an effective technique, a million times, as opposed to, I'll try something new, I'll try something else. Again, that's not to say you're doing it wrong if you just want to do one thing over and over again, but it, the game is geared towards you trying loads of different things. The other thing, and this is something I didn't know until like four, no, not even four weeks ago, three weeks ago, 
There is hidden leveling up in this game. There are numbers happening that we have no idea about, but that some diligent data miners have actually taken stock of. The more enemies you kill of a certain type, the more points you're effectively leveling up and getting stronger with. You are getting better at fighting. It won't tell you you are, but you are. But you can only kill, say, 10 electric whiz robes, and then any more after that, and you're not going to get any extra points. It's to prevent you from just grinding one type of enemy, mm. because they want you to go out and explore the whole world. But you have no idea that Guardians give you 50 points, which is really high on this score. So the more Guardians you kill, the more you level up. And so you might have noticed that the Bokos go, uh, they start off red and then a couple, you'll, you'll see ones with sort of, you know, greyish and, and, and painted uh, fur. And then later on you'll get silver ones. That's because you've been leveling up. It's not places you've visited and it's not... Uh, like things that you've discovered it's amount of a specific type of bunch of different enemies that you've clobbered and the only real way to do that is to use weapons as much as you can just use them all the way I, I conceptualized it again was I hate playing roguelikes most of the time because the idea of like uh, say enter the gungeon you go through and you get killed and then you start again and you keep going through and you get killed but then there are rogue lights like uh rogue legacy uh hades and um they give you something to take home with you effectively like if, if you do well enough on a particular run you don't leave home empty-handed you get something you can salvage from that if you take each weapon as a miniature little dungeon run and you use it, effectively if you are clobbering an enemy that you don't usually clobber with it, you're getting points anyway. You're effectively leveling up, even though you don't know you are. And it's not clear that you are. And the more they level up, the better weapons they have, so it feels less like I broke a good weapon and all you've got is a crap weapon. <laughs> Because you're actually now being able to salvage decent, like, double spike. You know how the, the boomerangs start mm, off just yeah. one curve, and then it's two, and then it's three, and then it's four. It's, those are getting better as you get better. Which, again, it feels like, like you want to hold on to those weapons. Spend them like they're rotting. Treat every weapon like a banana. Eat that thing, quick! Yeah, it's because it's an economy, you know. The I, I'm a really big apologist for the weapon system in this game because the game is designed to have you out in the world exploring, and so you 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 start off with a stick, and then you it's like a bartering system. You go off, and then you get a a club, a wooden club, and then you go and knock out another group, and now you've got a spear, and you just you're working your way up all the way through and if you have a weapon that's broken and gone and you liked it there's a million others just like it and you have you you learn where those things are in the game and you're like okay i would like to go get some electric spears i know exactly where to go get electric spears i will take the gear that i've found that is strong against this kind of enemy and i will then use that to get the things that i want so that i can go on to the next place and treating those tools as resources that you earn uh, as opposed to items that you are owed is the uh mindset that really brings out the most of this combat mm -hmm. in the game i think the thing is it's don't be don't fear the break because mm -hmm. most of us 
are so old and have been playing games for so long that we're all used to resource hogging. We're all used to getting really good things and going, I'm not using that just now because I'm going to wait for the big guy to come and that's where I'm going to use it against. It's not even that we're old. Willow said, I have my best weapons in my house and I've never touched them. <laughs> They've exactly. beaten the game and they never touch their best weapons. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's, it's a famine mentality in a world of food. It's a situation that we are just so utterly used to that things don't break, that things don't go this way. Yeah. That this game actually very much wants you to can not just just wail on the guys. The thing will break, that's fine. There's gonna be a hundred other one of the same ones, nine times out of ten, round a corner, in mm. the next field, up a tree. You know, just don't worry about it. But it's a mindset that's very hard again from myself, but even just from a pure gaming viewpoint, you're not used to the idea of you get something and it's going to break after like five smashes or something. Yeah. It, it, you go, and sometimes you said you get a bit lost with that, especially if you're in a big field. There's no resources about, and you go, I am lost. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it does seem ridiculous as well, especially when you first start. You're like, okay, it's cool. So I got a steel sword, and I'm going to hit three guys. It's already broken. It was a steel sword. Like, you can understand Rusty Blade doesn't look good, but you can't really understand why your, like, the bows don't even look in any I, way degraded. Yeah, it's mean, like, why is this lovely bow breaking? It is safe to say that the, the general level of craftsmanship in Breath of the Wild leaves a lot to be desired, mm. I think. Mm. It's probably safe to say, and they... I would, not, I would not be buying anything from those traders. Like, <laughs> they, they've very much got a throwaway culture going on there. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but and even that you could like argue is like, oh man, we've we've fallen as a civilization. Like our ability to make things that last because living in the ruins of a crumbled empire has left us like semi-nomadic and, and unable to actually like farm decent resources. Oh god, is every weapon the new iPhone? Ah, but, but just but. like Far Cry 2, when a bucker goblin hits you with his big old spear, it's not going to break breaks. on him, is it? No. Which feels unfair, and you're like, right, so it's only going to break for me. Do I just have meatier arms than this Hinox? We've traded dungeons, which have been a staple of Zelda since Zelda. The first ever Legend of Zelda, you just ran between a bunch of dungeons. And that was it. You got the overworld and a bunch of dungeons. But we traded those for 120 hidden shrines and four sacred beasts. So how did this swap sit with you? I quite like the shrines. The shrines feel like the treasure rooms from Link Between Worlds. Um, and as much as we've been talking about how Skyward Swords systems evolved into Breath of the Wild, mm. you really can see a lot of the foundations um, in Link Between Worlds. If anyone here has not played it, go do so. It's mm. um, it's my favourite it, 2D Zelda. It's amazing. Yeah, same, same. It's um, it's amazing. 3DS spiritual successor to Link to a uh, Link to the Past, and yeah, throughout the overworld, like just if you're clever and you think, oh, hang on. If I try using this item here, it unlocks this this cave, and there's usually just like one or two puzzles, and it gets you an item or a lot of rupees or something. It's a really good system. Like the best puzzles in the game are in the shrines, mm. and one of the best parts, or one of the most compelling parts of the Zelda game, of any Zelda game, are the puzzles. They are, the, you know, the, 
the dungeons are so iconic because they're essentially great collections of puzzles. Like, it feels like such a great um, accomplishment to finish a dungeon in a previous Zelda game because you've worked out how to you know, solve all the puzzles, work your way through the dungeon, beat the boss, and you're done. The idea of spreading those puddles, puzzles, puddles? <laughs> there are puddles across spread, the world. If you spread the puddles, you're going to end up with Wind Waker. You are absolutely, yes. Um, spreading the puzzles across the world was a really interesting idea. The fact that you've always got this kind of mini dungeon. I think if they if they had say they'd done I don't know eight divine beasts as yeah I think I think eight is the typical number of dungeons, and there wasn't any kind of shrines in between. I think the world would feel a lot emptier, and they yeah. would feel like there's a lot less to accomplish. Yeah, it felt to me as if the shrines were them going. We don't want to have a standard dungeon again but we still want to keep the puzzle elements that go into beating a dungeon mm-hmm. within our remit so how do we separate the two out while still making it feel relatively cohesive so it doesn't feel out of place but it doesn't but it still allows for the same sort of stuff that we wanted to do in the first place there's, there's bits that I'm not 100% sure about because because it's so tied in to the the health and the stamina system but they were also hidden which is fun when you go and you find a new explore the world and they turn up but it does mean you can spend an awful lot of time kind of monkeying about going I, I feel as if I'm low on health or stamina but I, I think I found all these shrines and now I'm just kind of wandering about really just looking for a shrine and it would have been nice if there had been a slightly better discoverability aspect to it than just a beep really but that's just me that that's that was more my thing for it some of them they 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 are they do have little telltale like there's a panel on the floor and you're like right there's a shrine around here somewhere but those are in the vast minority i'm a big fan of the switch as in the change from the dungeons to the shrines mm. because uh, the dungeons in wind waker i will say are the thing that actually stopped me playing because i kept getting lost Ooh. and when you come back in to a dungeon you've half done after a year of not playing the game you are fucked you are not getting through that one and even guides online will be like i don't even know where i am in this hour-long dungeon guide no they're too long i i have an admission to make which is probably going to make everybody shake their heads in disbelief the reason i keep bouncing off zelda games and the reason why i have never really got into them or been able to even get close to finishing any of them is i don't like dungeons Mm. i don't like the fact that once you're in you're trapped i don't like the fact that they are multi-level and you have to remember where's this and where does that turn leave and lead and that that once you're in you can't really yes there's a halfway point but you can't really get out until you are done yeah i love the <laughs> fact that with the shrines first off you can ignore them you can come play, back and do it later yeah you can play the game to the to the extent that you can you can follow the quest lines as much as you can yeah. and you don't have to do shrines if you're like this puzzle or this test of strength is kicking my ass i, yeah. I can't then you just Absolutely. leave it you just leave it and then come back later the fact that you can just fast travel back to them is yeah. godsend as well like yeah. so Absolutely. um there's one I think is the one in Hatino Village is it's a motion control puzzle mm. um, you have to like tilt this little ball in the maze sort of thing that, oh, that fucking on, thing 
That is oh, nigh on impossible works. in handheld mode. So yeah, yeah. The hearts go out to any Switch Lite owners who come across that one because I I found myself like standing up, leaning almost all the way over, and like kind of leaning over the top of my Switch to kind of look upside down at it. My but, conclusion so I, was it is not worth me dropping my Switch for one yeah. orb. Bugger this. But, but I, I was playing that, I found that one in, in like late night in bed. It's like, right, well, I'll, I'll stop. I can play that another time when I'm playing on the TV. Did you wake Penny up? Straight back in. Smack her in the face with the left side of the switch. No. But I did get told off for how much I was clicking when I was there, like, frantically bashing the combat button. <laughs> I've been told off for clicking <laughs> in bed I before. <laughs> I try to not play the clicky ones. <laughs> it's always too clicky for you. Sorry. Continue, James, and then we're coming back to Sharon. No, that would, that would, I made my point. Like the uh, the fact that you can walk back is a godsend. Yeah. Like it, it gives you that freedom to like, yeah, this is not for me. Yeah, particularly like the major tests of strength, or particularly a minor test of strength when you're only wearing a warm doublet and a pair of old trousers. <laughs> that warm doublet really <laughs> tied the room together. Your ass, isn't it? Okay. Um, Do so that, you- though. Well, I was just going to say the 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 other advantage is the being able to fast travel out of them if you get halfway through and you're mm-hmm. like i can't do this you can just i love the tra- travel system mm. i love to love, a degree it, it takes away from the physicality of the landscape again far cry 2 there were like four buses that you could fast travel from and it really felt like you were stuck out in the in the bush and if your car if your jeep exploded you were like you had to trek through on foot dodging everyone but uh and that was great for Far Cry 2, where the landscape was trying to kill you, but it feels like you're supposed to fall in love with Hyrule, and it's supposed to be a world worth saving in this. So, the game is generous with you, in the same way that Link Between Worlds is very generous with its rentals, where they're like, oh, do you want bombs? You can rent them right away. Do you want the boomerang? You can have that too. If you die, you got to rent them again, but you probably won't die much in that game. Um, so, even though it is tricky... Allowing you to just go, no, not doing this and just going elsewhere. By and large, like even with the Divine Beasts, if one of them is kicking your ass, you can leave it and then come back later. The dungeon thing still applies. I'd add that you don't have to do the shrines. Not all of the shrines have to be done the way that the designer has clearly intended. Yeah. Like, there aren't many examples. Like, there are some, you know, you're not going to be able to get through any test of strength without beating the Guardian. Yeah. Although you can beat the Guardian any way you see fit. But, like, the, the prime example I can think of, and God knows where it is, it's somewhere in Hyrule. <laughs> There's a, a fire-centric shrine where, essentially, the designer clearly wants you to pick up a torch light it take it over to that long line of of dried leaves light that and then that will create a trail of fire oh, i did this which lights, a, yep. which lights a torch and opens the next uh, next door and you can go through that way and then you know there's more trails of dried leaves and more torches and you have to slowly get the flame to go around the dungeon hmm. or if you've got a shitload of fire <laughs> you are sorted yeah and uh, there was one where there was explosive barrels floating round and round in a lazy river and you were supposed to basically get a good shot and 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 blow them up so that they'd blow up these big concrete blocks but i just used cryosis the uh, ice block freezy mm-hmm. thing and just worked my way round to that place dropped a bomb at my own feet blew myself back into the water but it destroyed the concrete blocks and i went over and completely ignored the exploding barrels i i same 
th this ties in with uh, the dungeons themselves tie in with magnesis, stasis, cryosis, and the bombs. They encourage us to experiment. And again, they're generous. They don't want to go, no, do it the way we want you to. Which again, like as, as much of a fucking toilet as Ubisoft is in terms of treatment of its staff. Uh, I continuously like the Far Cry games because they have very little in the way of no, do it like we want you to do it. Well, I, I love games that go, you know, there's a, there's your objective, go nuts. And speaking of like the the obvious you know open world influence of previous games, the shrines mitigate the whole like, well, I'm supposed to be working on saving the world, but I want to fuck around and explore this far <laughs> corner of the map here because. The game explicitly tells you, you tried to go straight to save the world, and you got your ass whooped. Yeah. You need to go fuck around and get as strong as you possibly can. Zelda's been holding out for a hundred years. She can manage a little bit while you get swole. Go get swole. The shrines oh. are how you go get swole. Yeah, there's, there's a certain amount where you kind of sit there and you go, uh, you, you know, you do, you do all these shrines, and basically if you ever went to Zora, you can imagine a conversation of being, well, how come you've taken so long? To be honest, I was just trying to hit a ball into a, a sphere. <laughs> so, so what you're saying I'm, is you were golfing? I was playing kids' <laughs> games in a park. Yeah, I was, I was trying to get a really big ball into like the, the, the seating bit so I could get an orb. But I had to do that like 10 times. <laughs> and and now, now I feel I can take on your thing. Is that so, all right? So are you saying that if you if you basically just gave like lots of shots of, of your uh, passage through this game and doing different things and learning different skills, you could maybe condense that whole thing into just a training montage? Yeah, my motto is get the ball in the hole. That's basically my breath of the wild, get the ball in the hole. <laughs> Let's put balls in holes. There is definitely like a, a Zelda golfing game, even though like there's a mobile spin-off or something in this. Mm. Don't give Nintendo ideas, they'll friggin' fill it full of microtransactions. Anyway, um, actually, I'm just going to run past those, uh, The I'm just going to talk to the, the the list of games that Sharon played of the Zeldas. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I'm just going to highlight the ones at the top and at the bottom. At the bottom, The Adventure of Link. Didn't like that one much, did you? No. Nope. It's not very it approachable. Side-scrolling felt wrong. Next one up, Legend of Zelda. Third one, Skyward Sword. <laughs> Like, you hadn't played it before, but you were like, nope, don't like this. The thing is, though, this the, the reason that Skyward Sword was so low down, and again, I will resist devolving into just repeating everything that you said from the um, the previous podcast, mm. was nothing to do with, like, all the others, the things I didn't like were something to do with mechanics or gameplay or, uh, or structure or something like that. This, no, 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 it was the pointlessness of conversations. Yeah. Do you want me to put bugs in your potion? Not really. Number one, you got Breath of the Wild. Number two, Link's Awakening on the Switch. Yes. I think we're going to do that next. We're like, we'll, we'll we'll wait for the next big Zelda release, probably Breath of the mm. Wild two. We'll combine it with uh with, with talking I about I Link's Awakening. I need to play some more of it. But I think all the reasons that I am falling in love with Link's Awakening on the Switch are the same things that I loved about Let's Go Pikachu. Yeah. They simplify something that's already established and in, it looks from the classic so era. It's and cutesy, yeah. but it's lovely. Uh, you also really loved A Link Between Worlds. Yes. Best Zelda on in 2D, the, yeah. the 3DS Such version. Such an innovative way of, of moving around and, and um, increasing what you can do. Mm. Yeah. And you also loved Phantom Hourglass, which even I don't like that much. You were like, that's the uh, Wind Waker, but on DS. 
You're on the sea in your hand. Yes. Yeah. I. I, I you didn't like. Charming. You didn't like the train one because you're like, no, no, I want to be able to, to make my boat go anywhere. Well, yeah. I, just tracks. What's the point of that in a Zelda <laughs> game? Which is why I like walking. I, I think we've said this before, but originally Link was going to ride on a little pig uh, when he was Toon Link. And it, it looked so silly that they covered the world in water just so he could have a boat instead. I, I would like the pig. I, I'm, I, I, I want Link riding on a pig. Some more disappointed. I, I only re- read recently that Spirit Tracks originally was going to do that. They were going to make a traversal system where you you lay out the rails in front of you as you go, which just like brings grommet. grommet to mind. <laughs> yes. Why is that not a game? That would be brilliant. Okay. I mean, I mean, I'm just going to say I'm just amazed that they haven't done that for Mario Kart, where instead of picking a cart, Mario is um, Zelda just rides a pig around a course. That would yeah. be something. A jet-propelled pig. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is getting absurd. Um, so I, I will say one thing about these shrines. As much as I do like the bite-sized nature of them, sometimes I felt it wasn't so much that I wanted meat, like a long, long dungeon, because when I played the Divine Beasts, those are actually my least favourite parts of the game, because they took take ages, and they're mostly about, like, raise the trunk, lower the tail, turn it around, kill the things... Hit this thing over here. It's not that compelling for me. But what I love about, uh, and I think what a lot of people love about uh, um, Ocarina, is the personality of each dungeon. Like the forest one, the ice one, the water one, the fire one. Like They've all got these, they've got their own themes, they've got their own aesthetic. But every single shrine is the same. And because there are 120 of the fuckers, it feels like there's another Hyrule under this Hyrule that all looks like this. And all you're doing is taking an elevator down and and doing a crystal maze game. Which just felt like when you were in Farron Woods, maybe give those shrines kind of an overgrown woody thing with tree roots coming through. Just give give each one a different feel. Like, make it feel not like a DLC pack of, here's a whole bunch more shrines. Make them feel like they are geographically located where you are in the world. Yeah. Also, it seems like this is Sheikah Aperture Science. Yes, because everything's red and orange. Uh, blue and orange, I was going to say. That. Similar puzzle solving. Yeah, I I think that's the thing that we'd hope for in the second one. The, the what you what you lose in personality and to a degree like aesthetic, mm. that's what you gain in the freedom of um, solutionizing. That's not a word, but I'll make it. I up. like it, solutionizing. Um, yeah, um, that, but that's what you get in the freedom of being able to tackle it in a variety of different ways. But you do lose the for what about the kind of the story of the shrines in a way hmm. you lose that part of it but you, you gain some hopefully in the second one they kind of find a way to put the two of them together a little bit more uh, neatly yeah I, I wonder if they'll do anything to the weapon system hmm. i do think problem solving is more valuable to me than guess what we have written on this card yeah yeah yeah, I, I, I think it. that there's so much room um for the second one um with looking at what succeeded and what got the most criticism uh, with this first game, and then like, okay, now we know what we need to work on for number two, and maybe that's why it's taking so long, because they're mm. like, okay, wh- how do we fix these problems? 
Yeah, I think uh, I saw a, a video on uh, YouTube a while back called. Well, it was it was exploring the difference between two major types of uh, uh, folks who like video games: um, innovators and honers. And uh, my, our previous uh, co-host Tony Atkins was definitely a honer. He really liked games where you just do the same thing over and over again and just sharpen yourself up until you are fucking brilliant at that one thing. And you, there's clear parameters, and it's about getting that score. I think Paul's a honer as well. He loved uh, he loves the games where you get three stars, two stars, or one mm. star, and like that kind of gameplay allows you to sort of work out what you're doing. Innovators would be more in, less into Angry Birds and more into Scribble Noughts, where it's like, mm. okay, I need to give this, uh, make this farmer happy, and then they can just use their imagination to work out what might make a farmer happy. And uh, like Far Cry and Zelda, uh, Breath of the Wild, are more inclined with uh, innovation, even though the, it's it's quite restrictive but then there are times where you do things completely by accident that just have delightful results but i think skyward sword is honors only it is like here is the instructions you do this you do as you are told here's a target here's a target bullseye yep if you hit above the bullseye if you hit below the bullseye i will send you back collect 60 tadpoles you have one minute oh you only collected 59 you're gonna have to do the whole thing again yeah bite me with that uh-huh. okay one thing i will say about scribble notes though it's amazing how many problems you can't solve by setting things on fire i yeah. tried yeah. but that this well, is not a judgment on either honors or innovators it's just those are two like if you want to really pigeonhole people into two categories you could go there there's going to be a lot of intersection and offshoots and there's there's something i think that breath of the wild does very well towards the very very end of the game with Hyrule Castle in terms of offering an alternate, basically a, a dungeon, because that's what Hyrule Castle is. It's just not a dungeon where you get the the terminal map and then you you. It, it's a lot more like traditional, but you're using all the tools that you've got. So you've got like all the weapons to use against these high level enemies. You have so many secret passages that are only going to be revealed because like it's a metal door so you can manipulate it. Mm. And it it feels like if if we could have something like that on that scale with a little bit more of the manipulation of the divine beasts in Breath of the Wild 2, that that feels like it could hit that really sweet spot between the the new approach with some more of the like character environment and narrative of previous Zelda dungeons. Actually, now that I think about it, there's another common uh, commonality with Far Cry 3 and uh, Breath of the Wild. The both games spend most of the way going innovator, innovator, innovator. Once you're allowed out of the starting zone where you are forced on rails through that tutorial in Far Cry 3 and the Great Plateau where you can kind of do your own thing but you've got to get these four things they then let you out into the world and and you can kind of go nuts. And then at the end, they bottleneck. Far Cry 3 ends in a long-ass Call of Duty-style corridor section and then a fucking turret section where you're in a helicopter shooting people with crosshairs. I loathe that game type uh, because it's, it's boring to me. And then forcing the climax of the game to be completely unlike the rest of the game doesn't make any sense if you've been innovating the whole way through breath of the wild thinking of interesting new ways of of, uh, battering enemies with what you've got uh, to hand when you then fight ganon 
You had to have been honing your flurry attack now the whole fucking this time. One thing. What? You didn't tell me that? Now be great at yep. the flurry. I had to get Willow to beat the game for me. It's insane because I hadn't been honing my flurry. The flurry is the hardest part of the combat system I found, like, too, too honed. Like, it's... It's brilliant, like, but the timing required for it feels so, so precise. Like, mm. and if you compare to as well. Wind Waker, um, with that, the special attacks you get on Wind Waker, like, it was quite clearly signposted when to jump or when to strike, and then you do the, you know, the, the cut, the jump over him or the roll behind the enemy and like the slash. Wind Waker's flurry, for want of a better term, was so much more accessible than this one. This one really feels like a uh like i say it's one for the home it's one for the people who are like really going to get into it but uh, it's just i mean i've played every zelda game to death and like i, I struggled with it and it feels like thunderblight ganon is the only boss that really encourages you to to use it in terms of like bosses that will be teaching how to do it and and not necessarily gatekeeping you from beating the boss without mastering it but like giving you a lot of opportunities to use it whereas everyone else like you can just arrow the shit out of those guys mm. and so you can just rely on that as a first order optimal strategy okay speaking of the aesthetic of the uh the, the places that you go and, and maybe the absence of a, a a variety of aesthetics in the shrines i'm going to say a little thing about ruins which was one of the first things that struck me about the game when you first go into the temple of time you are stilled and this is something i could have written a whole piece about but i actually already have and it's very it's actually very short in stone spring maidens Penny voices my thoughts on this exact matter. Come on over here. I've something fairly marvellous to show you. They crossed the street and made towards a square of light in a small, lovingly appointed park area. They were standing at the railings around the wide square and Harry realised she was looking at a sheet of reinforced glass, underneath which was a vast cavern with crystal-powered lights descending down level after level of ancient underground ruin. She could make out carven architecture, fallen pillars, engraved language and imagery, and in the shadows, a sense of depth that quite boggled the mind. She felt almost as high up as when she had stood on the Gallia deck earlier that day. This is what remains of the City of Men, Penny said with some theatricality. Gabriella is built upon the bones of Diantum, their subterranean capital. She indicated several plaques that Harry could not read, but which were bordered by blueprint layouts of what was beneath them now. I'm not a historian, though I do find this fascinating. They lived here long, long ago, until the Brazil Empire collapsed. Ever since then, women have been in charge. You're faltering too, though. Harry peered down into the depths. You said your people are entering a final winterfall. She looked up with concern and met Penny's gaze. Aren't you afraid? I suppose we all are. And I'm frequently very afraid. That's why I like to come here and look at the ruins. Gives me a measure of peace and comfort to know that our species screwed up so badly in the past, and yet we're still here. 
If a ruin can be observed, then the past is still alive. And that was most definitely inspired by this game. I think when I first started playing it, I had that realization about myself. And I was like, oh, now I know why I love, like, the beginning of Spirited Away when they're ex examining, exploring the old theme park and it feels like it's, it's a sacred place, but it's no longer peopled anymore. And it, it's, it, it's, there's something about this game that even outstrips Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, um, especially the former, were inspired by Gormenghast, which, again, I feel like Dark Souls has this as well, and, and, and the, the Souls-like games. There's a sense of ruin and a sense of... What? <laughs> there's a sense of destruction and abandonment and a wintry um, bitterness about the, the old places. But uh, in contrast, somewhere like uh, Hollow Knight, which although it, it's, it's got this foreboding atmosphere, the further you dig and the deeper you go, there's all of these sort of strange, weird little bug people. And the, this. I, Hollow Knight is the one game I wish I was better at because I love everything about the game apart from the fact that you have to get good at that game. <laughs> it's that that I, I feel like... Breath of the Wild does better than any other in terms of when you happen upon a place that used to be important and now is half buried in sand or overgrown or crumbled and you only see little bits of what was there before. I spent the past few days exploring the seven ancient wonders of Hyrule and just it, it wordlessly tells you about what was here before and that is... That is one of the reasons why I think this might be one of my favourite games of all time. I think, I apologise, I'm about to go on a massive rant here. Not rant, what was the positive Screed? version? Screed. Um, uh, ramble? Ramble. <laughs> Let's go for a ramble. Let's go this for a ramble. Quite, let's go for a ramble. Tell this is how. by far and away my favourite element of Breath of the Wild is the storytelling through the world. <sighs> this is a post-post-apocalyptic Zelda game. Like much like Horizon Zero Dawn, which came out like a what a few weeks beforehand. This is Side note, world... poor Horizon. It came out just before this and was just... overshadowed despite all the work that went into it. And then they finally got the sequel out and friggin' Elden Ring came out at the I know, same I, time. I feel so sorry for that team. I finally played Zero Dawn like uh two years ago and it is it was incredible. It was my game of that year. Mm. Um but that's a whole other part. Another sorry. subterranean land underneath the land you're in. Yes. Um this is a post-post-apocalyptic world in that the world has been destroyed. The world is, and you're trying to save it. And it, it, this is the biggest contrast with all the previous Zelda game, apart from the fact that you know, the, the structural contrast we've already talked about. Wind Waker has some of it because you're, you're floating on old Hyrule. They are, but there's a very crucial difference with um, Breath of the Wild. So all previous Zelda games are very much... The world is okay, the status quo is fine, and oh no, hang on, Z Ganon's turned up to ruin everything, and he's kidnapped the princess, and you need to go stop him. Or, Ganon has only just recently kidnapped the princess, and you need to go stop him. Like, by and large, it's all happening within quite a tight, uh, tight time frame. This is... The time frame of this is amazing. You've woken up a hundred years after Ganon took over. The reason Ganon took over is because you failed. 
everything you see, all the most of the ruins you see, all the, the guardians that have been mossed over, they are ones that you failed to defeat. The reason everyone is living as nomadic travellers is because you failed to stop Ganon. And I don't remember any game where you're trying to recover from your own failure. The time frame as well in terms of the efforts to try and stop Ganon, like I said, like most of the previous Zelda games, almost all the previous Zelda games are very much one day Ganon was a problem, the day before he was not. This one, if you watch through the memories, um, there's a lot of great compilations where like people put all the memories that you uncover, so the shortcut scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a half-hour film. You really get a sense of, no, this was years, months of, right, for th- tens of thousands of years, Hyrule has been intermittently attacked by Ganon, and there's been some sort of disaster, and there is always a chosen hero, and there is always a princess of destiny. We know about this now. We, this is just our history. We need to prepare for the next time it happens. So they excavate, and they find the Divine Beast, and they find the Guardians, and they're preparing for it. And the story you're told through the, the memories are... Like, it, it seems to be taking over months or years, it's a years certainly in terms of Zelda's training, to try and stop this. So every time you see the ruins, certainly like the, the Rune Guardians, those are monuments of your failure, of Zelda's failure, mm. and you are trying to correct that right. But then you have the whole other level of the reason you know how, or they knew a hundred years ago, how to try and defeat Ganon is because Ganon got defeated years ago in a Zelda game we haven't played, where actually the Divine Beast and the Guardian plan worked out fine and Ganon was defeated. And that's a whole other civilization, and that's the one that we see that's ruined. So, like, the the, uh, the ancient Highland built, like, the Temple of Time and the, um, the buildings around the Temple of Time, the bridge over the Lake Hylia, and then there's the whole other level of ruins, which is the Zonai. Now, I don't... There's not often you get mentioned the Zonai in the game. It's very much for those who kind of dig in and talk to every single person and read every single book. But my word, the videos I've watched on YouTube about people really digging into, like, the culture of the Zonai and trying to work out, like, who they were and all the speculation about the sequel to Breath of the Wild being built around the Zonai because there's certain Zonai emblems in the trailers, in the ruins, like... There's such a sense Side note, all that speculation is self-defeating, because if it's not exactly how you saw it, it's going to be so frustrating! Oh, massively, yeah. But it's fun to watch the speculation. But you I think it was that... Mephisto all along. <laughs> you compare that to previous Zelda games, though. Like, I, I remember um, Ocarina of Time, Hyrule Field. There's quite a few random walls, brick walls, in the middle of Hyrule Field. They don't seem to lead anywhere. They don't seem to, don't seem to serve any purpose. They are just walls. And I think I, they kind of look like ruins, but they, they don't tell a story. They don't seem to have a purpose. It's literally just, well, we've had enough grass around here. Let's put a wall. Like, that feels like the design choice. This feels so much more like it's been designed. Like, right, who lived here? Who which civilizations were here? There was an excellent video on the Zonai ruins and the area around Faron where it's only like a 10 minute video. I'll have to try and send it to you guys. They point out there's like there's so the Zonai, they have three different types of statues the dragon, the boar, and the owl, which represent, I believe, it's courage, wisdom, power, and wisdom, yeah. respectively. And you could, and they they noticed they're like right. Well, there's two dragon statues here, so this is a, a district, and all the dragon statues beyond these two statues, there's two statues either side of the path, 
Every statue you find beyond that point is a dragon one. Every statue you find beyond the two owls will be an owl one. So these are clear, distinct districts. There's a real sense that the world has been built as a world, and they've really thought about every single placement of every mm. single ruin, not just what would look cool here. Here's a series is, of small walls. Yes, exactly, which most video games feel artificial, and partly that's, that's an element of technology. Technology has advanced somewhat since Ocarina of Time was built, mm. but... I mean, even you go back to Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess feels like a very artificial video video game world. Let's have a big ruined bridge here because it would be cool to have a big ruined bridge. Here, it's like, no, let's have this big massive ruined bridge. Let's give it lots of arches. Let's widen the bridge compared to how it was in Twilight because this would be a main route of traffic between the realms of Pharaon and the realms of Hyrule. Just absolutely stunning world building, and I promise I'll stop talking now. No, that's that was great, and you're absolutely right. This again feeds into my watch YouTube videos. They will fill out gaps and make you more curious about the world. Like rather than I don't want to know anything. Like you could play for hours and 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 still not discover everything. They're still making stuff you might not know about, and it's been six years. There's a, a guy who is who made some videos that Alex showed me about looking at this Hyrule as if you're an archaeologist and it's real. Mm. And the way he talks about That's it the way is, they did the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah, exactly. Looking at, at it's the way I've the, done the Rama books. Who were the people who built this and mm. you know what what was their purpose and, and what was their design aesthetic. Yeah. I, I literally made the, the first temple that Kolo uh, gets to in uh, Panthasol. I was inspired by watching a YouTube video about the brilliance of Zelda's dungeons and the uh, the mechanisms in that they themselves are kind of puzzles within puzzles. So this game is a masterpiece containing masterpieces. That's something from, uh, that's a line from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And... It, it absolutely applies here. Zawan temples are puzzles within puzzles. This is why I adore the cats who came up with these riddles of stone and metal in the deep yesterday. Their philosophy prized cunning over brute force, and those who barged through would come to a sticky end, pointy things protruding from their mangled carcasses. My eye falls upon the block of ice, and I crouch to examine what I thought was a shadow, but is in fact a dark shape inside. Oil, I call, gesturing to the jars. Dalesh obliges and carries a second to me. I splash the contents down over the ice block and set it alight. The rigid prison melts away as orange flames lick over an obsidian wheel. The other thing I quite like is you can in, you can choose to engage with the story as much as you want from a dialogue viewpoint. Mm. Because he's been asleep for 100 years, every single time you meet someone new, they launch into a little bit of, oh, is this the Hyrulean that we've seen? He's been asleep for 100 years. And invariably there's a point that you can choose whether to expand on what they're going to tell you. Mm. Or you can simply turn and kind of go, yeah, whatever, just what do you want me to do? <laughs> There are times when I feel like Link is being a real jerk, like your two dialogue options are dot dot dot, or give me those fucking boots! (laughs) It's very much like, well, I mean, I could sit here and tell you 
you can tell me what's happened for a hundred years, or I'll just go and do the thing. I mean, whatever you want, I don't mind. <laughs> but, but I like the fact that there is that option to really flesh it out and properly. I mean, as was just discussed, there's a lot there if you want to get involved with it. And when you first get the camera, there's the option to go to all the different locations, which again prompts you to get out, go in the world, explore what's around you. But it's not so precious about that that it's not going to also give the option to just ignore it if you want, to, if that's what's on your mind, and just kind of progress with the main bit without having to go through a lot of dialogue that there will be people that play this game that they go, I, I don't care about the story. I just want to, I just want the mechanics. Mm. And the the thing that, that James talks about in terms of how intentional it is in placing it, its architecture, that that's kind of the key to, I think, Breath of the Wild being a masterpiece among other open world games that have done similar things over the past few years. Uh, I, I played a lot of open world games in a row before playing replaying this. Mm. And even five years later, coming back to Breath of the Wild after doing stuff like, you know, Horizon and, and Darksiders 2 and like a whole bunch of other stuff is like, wait a minute, no, just all of these things are placed so deliberately right down to like which which Bokoblin camps will have exploding barrels, which parts of which fields will have dry grass because these enemies have fire arrows and just like give give you an extra thing to play with and and how and how do the environments and the things that they place interact with the systems that they've given you in terms of your your like magical abilities it, it's it, it, if you like dig too deep into it you'll just like start going nuts of like but but how how did you <laughs> where where did you write all this shit down so that you would keep track of it what yeah. how it does seem like a massive amount of communication has gone on it took 6 years to make which is long for a Zelda game. Like we, we've gotten used to it being one per platform, haven't we? And thinking about it, like the Wii, this was supposed to be the Wii U. Sorry, the Wii U's one Zelda game that wasn't from a previous system, and it was for like a six-second span because then it was released on the Switch, and the Switch doesn't have its own standalone Zelda game, does it? That it, it's effectively just a series of beautiful remakes. Uh, and I expect that to continue. They've sold so many goddamn copies of this, almost like one-to-one -one with every Switch for, for a, the longest time. It just felt like this was the reason to get a Switch because everyone was talking about it. It had that water cooler effect. Now, you know when you use the map findy thing to put a pinpoint in the map, and uh, I think that's actually expounding on both the DS versions where you can make mm. little scribbles on the map to uh, remind yourself of stuff, and also uh, Link Between Worlds uh, on 3DS where you can put coloured pins into it. They're so useful. But you know when you can like look at a shrine and click one of those coloured buttons and then it sort of throws down that long light? A sky ribbon. A sky ribbon. There are symbols in that sky ribbon. And if you look around, you can actually see those symbols throughout the game. It's like the alienese in Futurama, and it is in fact a language. And some folks decoded it, and what it says is, It is dangerous to go alone. Which no, is I love that. the first that line glorious. in the original Legend of Zelda when you get your sword. I love that. However, it leads me to my next question. It is dangerous to go alone, and yet, what effect does the isolation of this game? Remember, no Navi, no Midna, no... What was the name of that annoying sword? Fi. Fi. Fi, yeah. What does that 
do to the player? How does the aesthetic, the graphical presentation, the camera, and all of the music play into this overall isolated experience? Uh, I think okay. it, whoa, uh, <laughs> we have not heard much from some of you folks, like Eric and Name have hardly been able to say anything. You two go first. Just don't go alone. The one thing I've noticed just from both of my playthroughs is how I, I think it really builds the, the ambiance, the atmosphere, all of that. I think it really builds upon the the fact that, you know, not just Link has woken up after a hundred years, but Link's lost his memory. And I think the way it's designed makes it feel like um, as you go through, you know, you're discover you know, you the player are discovering the story, but I think it does good in making you feel connected to Link recovering his memories, you know, as you, you walk through ruins and you're like wow what is this like if you're walking through like the the Lanayru promenade but link is saying what is this as well before ganon before he went to the you know he ended up in the shrine of resurrection i'm sure he probably knew what you know what these were my favorite uh location to explore which they don't really give you much to explore i wish it did um i love when i uh get to the akala citadel because i love the story behind it of that the Akala Citadel is supposed to be the one place where the Hyrule army couldn't fall, but they but they do. As you climb those winding stairs around it, you're just thinking of, wow, this gigantic military structure was supposed to be the pinnacle of Hyrule. It's supposed to be the place that, that couldn't fall. All those soldiers that are, whose bodies are probably still inside when you're walking through the canyon and what is the forgotten temple link probably already knows the story or knew the story but between the ruins and someone mentioned the music the music is very soft very somber at times beautiful but i think it kind of just goes to show how the world itself has kind of moved on as best it can i saw a um uh, i think it was a youtube i don't know if it was a youtube video it might have just been a, a post online somewhere someone was asking does link ever actually regain his memories kind of what was wondering that i was like i know when you find the location and you watch that um that memory in the camera and i know his eyes get wider you know i remember this something i always think about whenever i beat ganon and so it's just something that i always think about but i think the design does an excellent job of conveying that uh that isolation and that loneliness it is tough to work out um what he's thinking because he always he's got that same link expression most of the time determined but a little bit shocked uh i think you could feasibly convey it by just having zelda saying do you remember and then having him just nod very slowly like at the end of the game that would be a, a good capper actually now that you mention it with talking about being alone in the environment and in the game i think mostly about taking a walk in in real life you know especially on it's looking outside it's a beautiful day right now and mm. it, when you have an opportunity to just go outside and to walk for a little bit with no destination no time to be back it's very very relaxing you have an opportunity to look out and see the world around you and it's very therapeutic to many people mm. 
in Breath of the Wild, there are some beautiful set pieces, and there's a wide gamut of weather patterns and uh, landscapes. And when, especially when I had beaten the main story of the game, and I, I spent a lot of time afterward, I found all the Koroks, all 900 of them. Wow, uh, Jesus. Yeah, I did, I did. I, 900? So, yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> They're so much uh, better than feathers in Assassin's Creed 2, though, because like they all go, and then uh, they actually contribute towards your your weapon slots and your shields and your yeah. It's that, it feels like you're growing as opposed to got another feather. Guess there's more. There yeah. Did you enjoy your golden poo? <laughs> I did. Yeah, that's what you get at the end. You get this big trophy of poo. <laughs> 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 and uh, you, you're not told that's what it is, but you are told in the item description that it has a a, a, a kind of smell to it. Jeez, um, the ice cream <laughs> man. So, but, so literally, literally a monument to all our sins, after all. Jeez. Yep. Continue. Sorry, don't I? That's okay. I remember, because I did most of this from 2017 to 18, when I just went through the game, and I 100%ed every every task that um, that they have for you except for the photo album because they don't they don't count that for some reason I would unplug from you know my 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 phone I wouldn't look at it I would just have that time with the game and it would be true alone time just as link is alone in the game and I think that because you have the the a lot of the ambience and the soundtrack is very subdued and the sound design is so meticulously placed that there is you know a kind of therapy and just going through um and discovering you know there's so much that you can just do just to see what happens and i don't think that you would have that same effect if there was a cartoon character on your back saying but we do kind of need to go and see the princess. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, that was definitely yeah. a major design decision. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think that you get from that isolation is, uh, aside from it feeling like there, there's like this extra punch to discovery because it feels like you're the only one seeing this ruin or climbing this mountain, like all the victories are, they belong to you. You start so weak and small and you have like, the, the the guy who's like, well, maybe I'm going to be the Navi. Nope, peace out. Here's a glider. Bye. Like, he leaves you almost immediately, and then it's just you against the world. And so every time you overcome something, it's because you did it, not because your sword told you to hit the monster in the glowing weak spot, and then you followed the directions. There's uh, something Jim Stephanie Sterling uh, said about open world games. Uh, I think uh, because whenever Ubisoft put out another Far Cry, another Assassin's Creed, they boast, we've got 900 square miles of map for players to explore. And it's a large amount of that is just rubbish. That's There's nothing there for you. There's feathers to find. Uh, but say something like uh, one of the better Yakuza games, you've only got a few city blocks to explore and everything is densely packed in. And it's not about quantity, it's about quality uh, per square foot. This game feels like it might deceptively feel empty, but the amount of 
pleasure I've had just trying different things in different places and the distinction between the classic Zelda environments of volcano and forest and lake and it desert and just it they'd all it feels like this wonderful New Zealand style paradise where it's all there which reminds me this all stems from one guy uh, obviously, he didn't create all of the Zelda games, but Shigeru Miyamoto based the original Le Legend of Zelda on his own antics as a kid, exploring the countryside in Japan, just, you know, finding caves and secrets and frogs and things. Without that guy, without that mind, without those experiences being conveyed to Nintendo to make that particular game that started all of these, we might not just not have Zelda. Well, we definitely wouldn't have Zelda the way that we imagine it now. It and, and and we would not have all shared these collective Breath of the Wild experiences in the same way. It might be a well-known piece of trivia that they started the making of this game for Breath of the Wild in a sort of remade engine for the first NES Zelda game. That is where they perfected all of the uh, skills, like the time and the fire and all of the aspects that made that game engine run mm. i see in some of the, like the the youtube documentaries that have come out from nintendo about this little bits and pieces of that first nes game running the way it does and it really makes me want them to maybe not put out that demo but i would love to see a remade nes zelda now uh, especially with how breath of the wild is a return to that exploration format maybe so even just seeing seeing the top-down view make it like uh link's awakening but just with more emergent stuff that c can be done yeah i keep seeing the footage from that um nes style prototype and i keep convincing myself that this means they're working on a zelda maker a la super mario maker mm. because it's got the same little telltale shadow of look it's old but we've tweaked it slightly so this is the new version it's like just release the zelda maker please i won't do it anywhere near as good a job as nintendo but i'd like to try oh uh mention the music and if you pay close attention and you are really into Zelda music, there are so many little audible Easter eggs to be found. The easiest straightforward one is to go into the Temple of Time and just wander around while it very, very slowly plays the Temple of Time theme. The way it plays it so slowly, it actually more establishes mood than melody because your brain, because the last note at the end of that do, 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 happens a minute after it began, it feels more like just a very quiet, melancholy, but weirdly peaceful world, which all plays into the ruined aspect of it. Uh, there are other ones like... Um, you can find Lon Lon Ranch, and it is just a, a, a series of small walls and a, uh, a overgrown uh, track where you used to race a pona, and it's... And 
you can hear a reassuring version of that playing at most of the stables that you visit. But not at the bare bones of Lon Lon Ranch, which is very sad to see. And I, I, I felt particular pride in clearing out the... Uh, there's a guardian and some bokoblins, and I was just like, get out of this sacred ground. It's not sacred to Hyrule, it's sacred to me. Uh, but it's very quietly playing in this, this place. Not Epona's theme, but Zelda's theme. Just very, just quietly and slowly in the background. And it, there are times when, like, if you go to the, uh, like, w when you see King Ram, um, it's actually playing a slowed down version of the castle theme in uh, Link to the past so that and the most unexpected one is when you're in uh the castle at the end it'll often play like that kind of baleful like on a church organ for zelda but one of them is that's the song of the windfish playing in Hyrule Castle from Link's Awakening. Thank you for that. It was a dream. It didn't even happen. And that just made me think, but what does that mean? And it's so good that nobody says anything. It's like, it's, 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 it's almost like this is a massive dream of all the Zeldas, or that all the Zeldas were the dream and now Link has finally woken up. Well, it, one effect that it will have is, A, it feeds into the, the, the fairy story mythology element of this, which that whole sense of all of the Zelda stories being part of the same world and they're an iteration of the same hero and the same rescue and this gives you three versions of that that are all kind of playing over the top of each other simultaneously which mm. very much has that sort of fairy story feel to it that circle of a hundred years being that the the enemy will be defeated not because the right hero came along but because it is time a hundred years have passed it is now time for the enemy to be defeated for the cycle to come around again but what that music will have the effect of however subtle is anybody who has played those previous games and has that music in their memory banks however far back and however on an everyday basis they wouldn't reach into it it allows you to mesh with link in the sense that he is wandering in a world that on some level is vaguely familiar to him but seems all very different now obviously you can't have that sensation because you've never run around in a grassy field with a ruin and a sword in your hand trying to hit guardians maybe you haven't <laughs> But the adding in the music will give you the sense of slight familiarity to it, albeit about something different, but it allows you to kind of just sink into Link's shoes a little bit. And that, I think, is, whether that was intentional or not, anyway, that's the, the effect that it has for me, and I think that is an, a good effect. The Hyrule Castle music is particularly powerful as well because the soundtrack is so soft and subdued and plays into that isolation for so long you you can be playing 20 30 70 100 hours 
in with with not much more than just a soft very slow piano to accompany you and as soon as you're into that castle mm. and there's like the familiar ganon theme there's the zelda theme played with a little uh sorry not the zelda theme, there's the the main legend of zelda th- main series theme so not zelda's lullaby the overworld theme yes the original overworld theme played with a kind of a, a desperation to it and there's just there's a real tempo and a mood and it's like this is it this is everything you've been building towards and i think that really works like the Zelda soundtracks are fantastic in, in general and usually come away some, with some favourites. The fact that they didn't go for that all-out style of... Um, Melodies. You know, if you'd had something like Twilight Princess's Overworld theme mm. or Wind Waker's Great Sea theme, the amount of hours you spend in the Overworld... Again, this goes back to what we said hours ago. Like, Overworld used to be just kind of where, where the space you traverse between Dungeon A and Dungeon B. Mm. Here it is such an integral part of the game that... If you had this big, you know, all-out soundtrack, every second you're in the overworld, it would lose impact. The fact that you haven't, and then when you go to the castle, there's this full, big orchestral piece that escalates as as you de- delve deeper into the castle. It really builds up to a great finale, and I I just love the atmosphere of it. The the other thing that, like James said, it feels like this is what you've always been building to, just uh, just being. The fact that you'll hear the Zelda Overworld theme played in that like slow piano, just like randomly as you're riding your horse during the nighttime, you're like, oh, it it sort of makes this feel like both a like like you said, it, like there's there's just like a memory of all this other stuff. Like it knows you're bringing all this emotional baggage mm. if you're a fan of the series into this, and so that's both a like a soothing thing of like a oh yes, there's still this element here even though it's even though it's very different but also like you said because it's it's slow like it, it it's like a tapestry it just weaves in slowly until it starts to become this incredibly like loud percussive thing towards the end it's it's all about like and this is something i feel like might be a not necessarily concerned with the sequel but like how do you replicate that feeling because so much of like what we want to get from Oh, I want a remake of Ocarina of Time to make it look like games look now. Is it's just like that feeling of that discovery, that that sense of being in this place for the first time, but it also feeling just a little bit familiar. I think Breath of the Wild just like absolutely nails that, and and a secret sauce is the way it uses that music, especially the way it's so subtle about it most of the time. When music in Zelda is such an overt part a lot in a lot of other games. When you're out in the field and you're riding on a horse, if you take that music, speed it up by 40% and then pitch it down by the same 40%, you get Zelda's theme. This is about the other major character in the game. We barely mentioned her, but though she is not physically with us in the present day, how is this version of Princess Zelda characterized? She's a failure, which is an absolute tragedy in terms of how she's normally portrayed as being like the the this is the thing that you're aiming for. She is she is the I've gold been kidnapped, standard. but you can rescue me, Link. 
Yeah, like I, 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 all I have to do is just be freed from Ganon's thing, and, and then I'll be able to do this thing. It's, it's except for Ocarina, respect. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Spirit Tracks, where she's like, "Well, I'm dead, but I'll hang around with you." But, but that having that be like a genuine personality conflict with Link as a, as a thing that, that they're traveling companions who have this constant friction. That's never something that we've really dealt with before, and having that be a thing that you're rediscovering is like a. Oh, there was this bond that grew over time, but there was this distance between us, and then we've lost that for a hundred years. It's just another way of making this seem like such a melancholy for Nintendo sort of uh, sort of narrative. Mm. I love that she's got so much more personality, and again, like this goes back to the fact that there's only half an hour of cutscenes in the whole game, mm. but you get so much better sense of her personality than you do in any previous game. And it is one of like, yes, this is her failure, but she's been trying her absolute damnedest to find other ways to help. So again, I recommend anyone to just go back and watch the memories in order on YouTube because you tend to... You you tend to discover them in a a different order when you're going through the game. and you tend 10 hours apart. Yeah, 10 hours. Yeah, so it's it's very hard hard to see the the overall storyline. But it's incredible. Again, going back to what I was saying earlier about like the the preparations knowing that Ganon's going to return she's got all this pressure on her you are the princess of destiny you're the princess named Zelda inevitably you're going to have this sacred power and you need to discover it and she goes on these long journeys to the different um, spring, the springs of power, wisdom and courage to pray to the gods and she can't unlock this power and she's so frustrated and she, the animosity between her and Link stems from the fact that he's the chosen hero, he's he's met his destiny already and she can't do hers like he's a reminder of her own failures like there's, there's so much depth, there's so much going on with Zelda more, more so than there ever has been before and mm. um, I, I think the, there were two things that I kind of were slightly disappointed by, like one is um the, the fact that it's... My reading of it is that it's implied that she finally unlocks her power because of her feelings for Link. So if you watch through the cutscenes, oh. the point... I know, this annoys me as well. She finally unlocks her power when Link is pretty much on the cusp of death. That's when she finally gets her power. A few memories beforehand, when you actually see Ganon emerge from the castle, like she's just come down from the spring of whichever it is at the top of Mount Laranaria, which I can't remember. I want oh, to the wisdom. spring of Hujima Flip. The spring of Hujima Flip. She's <laughs> come down from the spring of Hujima Flip. Um, and she still has failed. And the champions around her, and they're trying to console her. And Mitha says, um, I'm quite embarrassed to say this, but maybe, well, maybe it help, will help if you do what I do when I'm healing. I'm quite embarrassed to say it, but when I think of, um, when I'm healing, I'm thinking about... Kaboom! Stop. <laughs> yeah. And then they get interrupted because it's Aquaman. They do, yes. Um, but Mifa, we know from her section of the story, we know that she was... Um, very, she very feelings. close with Link. Very close with Link, and it's implied there are romantic feelings there. Yeah. You know, the fact that she built in the Zorama. Zorama like Ruto is before traditionally her. built. Yeah, yeah, very good homage to Princess Ruto. So, I, yeah, for me, the reading there, that right, okay, hang on. So Mipha's basically trying to tell you, well, I fancy Link, and if I think about Link, I'm really good at healing. So if you think about Link, maybe you'll really be good at saving the world. This guy's got you know, beer-flavoured nipples or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just thought that that was a shame. And then the other thing was, like, connected to that, 
we spend so much time seeing how much she's really into research. Like the, uh, the, the great little memory where like, she's getting really excited about a frog because the different properties it have in here mm. in, you know, eat this. Like you can be a great test ground. she's a scientist. This is not a princess. This is a princess who wants to be a scientist. Yeah. I would have loved it if she found like a scientific way to reclaim the guardians, to reclaim the dear divine beast. And that be key to Ganon's downfall because once again it's a uh, right well I'm free now you've beaten the boss so here's the light arrows here we go let's just beat Ganon and it's just such a shame yeah I mean there's there's room for them to improve on that in the future but like there's been a, a lot of pressure on Nintendo in recent years to, to to pep Zelda up I think she actually got some really great characterization in this I hadn't actually twigged the whole it's all about her feelings for Link that's how she can do it that's a bit more traditional it's 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 also, like, oftentimes in previous games, and in a lot of other games, the, the girl who's the sort of the delicate princess type seems to be there to please you, even if she's got a very, very big job to do. Like, you're her protector, but she's there going, ha ha ha, you're quite handsome looking like that. And it's like, yeah, okay. But I like the fact that Zelda gets really pissed at Link repeatedly in, in this, and he just sort of stares at her in that gormless way he does, because he can't talk! Do you know what it almost makes me think? We of? swore, by the way, James, that Link would be talking in the next game, and we were so wrong. We were so very wrong. The... The, I don't think he ever will now. It's not about technology. It's yeah, about tradition. It's, it's, it's a joke mm. now, yeah. and they must oh, well, sustain I, it. I wildly take back my... The next Zelda should be set in, in the modern era and be set in a high school. Just... Oh! No! No! That doesn't work at all. That's Persona. Play Persona for that. The, the dynamic that they have between them has always felt a little bit to me like the, uh, the anima animus dynamic whereby mm. Zelda is the brain and the strategy, mm. Link is the arm and the sword. He's the courage, she's the wisdom, yeah. and Ganon is the power. Indeed. But the the way this kind of plays, it almost feels like Link is the swords that keep breaking. She's the frustration of the player going, what the <laughs> I had this really good sword. I hit you twice and it's done. So basically it's like breaking the giant's knife and then giving it to the big the great Goron for a yeah. hundred years to for him to reforge it. it. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, so finally, what were your favourite details and the little things that transpired as a result of emergent gameplay systems? Sharon's got her hand up, interacting with one another, hidden places, secrets, treasures, friendships and the people that we met along the way. I'll just preface this by saying I really love the Four Guardians. I would be fine with just a game where Zelda and Link and the Four Guardians just run around Hyrule doing stuff. Oh, they made that game. It's called Hyrule Warriors. No, not that. That's a Dynasty Warriors game with a little bit of a Zelda coat of paint. And that, that, that one was really annoying to me. Like, I, I, I loved the idea of Hyrule Warriors because like, we already know how that story ends, i.e. Ganon wins, everyone fails, yeah. it's the end of the world. We know it ends with Link and Zelda like as the last ones left, fighting Guardians and Link nearly dying. And then with that game, they're just popped out with spoiler alert some sort of time travel thing where actually you can win and everything's fine and the timeline's fine again it's, it's a fan stupid. fiction yeah it is, is a, a fan, fan fiction. fiction what i, I think I, what I, I mean is like a zelda game that's also a mass effect game where zelda is commander shepherd <laughs> and you've got to do loyalty missions for each of your champions i i love the fact that this game is effectively about at its core 
bringing together all the peoples of Hyrule to collect. Like it's not just about Link. He needs help. It's not just about the Hylians. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just everyone like. The fact that they have, like, you know, these people being represented and these people's being represented and just that they all decide, yes, this one fucking thing is so horrendous that we all need to confront this one thing that's ruining everything and causing wars where there don't need to be wars. Yes. Again, that's what I love about, like, when you watch through the, the memories, you get so much of a better sense of the, the champions and their personalities. And you get, again, you get the sense of this, this much larger Lord of the Rings style story like I and it's all done so subtly through like what half an hour's worth of two to three minute scenes like I I write in my spare time nowhere near as prolifically as Alex but I do but I try um I really want to I'm going to write like uh, an epic fantasy story structured like these memories like that like you you only need like a few minutes with each champion to get a sense of what they want you only need a few wait minutes wait a minute back moment. in the mists of time and I'm flashing back here you told me you didn't like flashbacks I I but, but the the way these ones are done the way these ones are done, I, I have, I've warmed to them. I just, I'd love the idea of an epic fantasy Lord of the Rings style story told in, what, half hour. I, I would also love, love for you to write this thing. Get, get I've James some two, free time I've, so he can do this. <laughs> Not to get to like too far off the the point, but like the what what you're kind of describing is very much like the uh, the a lot of the mechanics and plot of Horizon Forbidden West, of ah. giant open world uniting groups of people, um, more Mass Effect-esque uh, companion elements. Um, so I, I would also be very okay with a lot of that in a Zelda game. Um, but but if you don't want to wait, you know, there, there's that. Um, I might just... But, I've, no, I've not finished Zero Dawn yet. It... I've, they're, they're both worth playing, but especially if you, like, kick him down to easy so you don't have to stress about, like, combat encounters and yeah, just okay. blitz through the story. But but in terms of, like, the, the Breath of the Wild stuff... Just Although Aloy the, doesn't look like a real woman. She has a giant moustache. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> oh, I've never bad. actually been close enough to a woman to observe what a woman's face actually looks like. Jesus Christ, mammals have hair? What will they think of Make that? her please me! <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Uh, but but one, of the, one of the things that I felt actually, you know, going back to, like, the, the Lynels um, that, that, that you talked about, was, like, just finding enemies that you could just basically, like, okay, these are the guys who are consistently kicking my ass. How can I find ways to get an advantage over them? And, and the ways that the, the game doesn't, like really tell you about everything about these boss characters but it makes you well well not like i guess mini bosses or environmental bosses mm. or just like high level enemies but it makes sure to introduce you to a couple of them in a very limited way and say like this is going to wreck you if you let it and and then just finding ways around that like i accidentally fought the lionel on my second playthrough of breath of the wild when you're supposed to just steal his arrows and i was like oh shit he saw me wait a minute do I still got this? <laughs> and I was, and I, and I still had that. And just like, get, and get, getting those like emergent, like, okay, these are secondary goals of like, and, and of course, you know, like, okay, uh, in addition to the, the numbers that go up that they don't tell you about, like you get all that sweet gear. You get like whatever monster parts you get that can make really good elixirs. 
and just the the ways that you'll you'll be able to find those those challenges for yourself and again it always feels so fulfilling when you when you overcome them because so much of it is about just like thinking through your options and the ways that you can affect the environment okay so there, there were two things in particular that i wanted to mention one's tiny and the other one is cooking um, <laughs> the, the tiny one was the what you were saying there brendan about being able to take on the lionel without really being ready to take on the lionel mm. the part where hester sends you after the bacoblins who've stolen his maracas yes so i i picked that quest up quite early Oh, you're supposed to. Yeah, I know. It's just tough. But then, yeah, then I, I kind of went around the corner and went, oh, these guys, oh, I don't have anything that can can take them on at all. So I ran away. And then... Run away! You... <laughs> Honestly, that tactic really is helpful it in is this helpful game. It is a helpful tactic. Uh, but then, Alex, you mentioned that if you throw bombs at things mm. out in the field, you don't just have to save your bombs for shrines. Yeah. You can just throw them at Experiment. things and guess what? They will blow up. And I thought... There's a little rocky outcrop near those buckoplins. Lone rocky outcrop. They throw stones, but I'm willing to bet they can't hit me if I stand on that rocky outcrop. And I literally just stood on the rocky outcrop and dropped bombs on them until they were all dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went and got the maracas. So that was quite fun. But the the cooking. So I have spent the majority of my replay this time, which admittedly was only a week or so, cooking. And there were two reasons for this. One was that I thought, right, I'm, I'm not going to get good enough in combat to really push forward with the main quest. Yeah, route. you're not going to do a divine beast run. In a week. No, that's not going to happen. I didn't even get to a divine beast this whole month. Yeah, absolutely. I was just doing other stuff and see, I was seeing as much of Hyrule that I hadn't seen before, like the sacred shrines. So that before. was, that was my, my initial thought was, well, I'll just run around and open up as much of the world as I can. I'll just run around like a headless chicken. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't have the stamina to tame mm. a horse. This is very boring. There's just guardians everywhere. Running everywhere. And it's too big. I can't, I don't want to do that either. There, so, were, there have been some times that I've been like, oh, this is beautiful. Fuck off, you're ruining a sunset. Absolutely. I was trying to have a moment, thank you. Um, <laughs> so I thought, well, what, what can I do that's sort of relatively, um, like has an end goal, but, but is low in terms of, of stakes and having to really sort of crank up the grinding? And then I thought, the house. The house. I can get three thousand rupees and, and buy the house. I get three thousand rupees, I go about Mark. Doing that? And then it turns out if you cook particularly fancy meals, mm. you can get money for them. Mm, tasty meat. Fairly reasonable amounts of money. Mm. So I thought, let's do that, and that's what I did. And so the more I was doing the cooking and just sort of this whole combinations of ingredients, and, and not for any particular uh, because I was trying to maximise the stats or anything like that. Just I want to see what this combination would look like. I've know that this combination of foods would taste good in real life what am i going to get if i put them together here mm. don't put bacoblin horns in anything it's a bad plan oh yeah found that one i made a dish of f uh, four bits of salt and an acorn today <laughs> it turned into dubious food yes as it would it was the saltiest thing i'd ever eaten <laughs> don't eat that much salt so what i found out that this this was very emergent was when I see words about food written down, it makes me taste the food. 
So like Remy the Rat, but so with it's like, text. Yeah, I've got this weird synesthesia thing going on that seems to have been set off by playing Breath of the Wild. So that oh, was yeah. quite nice. I'm like, I made this meat and apple skewer, and it was just like, wow. So if I say paste, meat and apple kebabs. crispy aromatic plum duck to you, mm. can you? Oh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> you know what? It's been 21 years, but now I have a new thing. Well, see, I always wondered why it was that when I was reading boarding school stories, mm. I always liked the scenes where they talk through mm. what they've got in their tuck box, mm. and now I know. Chip Butty. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, catch up on it. Speaking of uh, making rupees, one of the things that I like, there are ways to farm rupees, and there, there are very, very efficient ways where you, uh, there's an exploit where you knock over an ancient guardian that's uh, out of... That's out of action. That that wouldn't attack you anyway. And if you do it with a treasure chest using magnesis, it just starts spewing ancient parts at you. It's ridiculous. And there are ways that I could just exploit to get as much rupees as possible. But the thing I actually settled on is kind of a thing for it's it's for noobs and beginners. But it's actually something I like doing, and that is being a hunter in the frozen tundra. If you go up there where all the rhinos and the moose are, they drop very good meat and just riding around on horses uh just bullseyeing them and uh, and collecting the meat going making meat skewers taking them back to kikariko village getting loads of arrows going back for more and just keeping my bank balance healthy by being a hunter on the side it was effectively a job and i love that the game kind of allows you to do that so I don't know if I've got like necessarily emerging gameplay stuff, but there's a few things that tickled me. Was this your thing. first time playing it? You said you were going to start... It was. Oh, it was. It was okay. Well, I mean, like, you might have the most stuff to say because it's new to you. Well, in, in some ways, yes, but a lot of these are things that are... Because, again, this is a big game, and I, I wouldn't ever say I was anywhere kind of near the end of it, but there's a few, there's a few kind of bits. The cooking, I... I, find, I really enjoyed the cooking. Hmm. Um, you, it really makes you learn very quickly. Actually, pick up everything. If there's one thing I could probably say is that initially you're not used to picking up stuff in Zelda games, but this is like, no, pick up everything, literally chuck it in a saucepan and see what you can have at it. Go <laughs> for it. Um, the best thing I enjoy the most is when if you make something that's really, really bad, they pixelate it in a way that makes it look as if it's some form of weird, slightly pornographic image. That it's so fucking play, gross, it can't be seen by human eyes. <laughs> but the thing is, you still get one heart from it, so it's obviously not that bad. But it's, yeah, I, I enjoyed that quite a lot. But I think the thing that I kind of came out of this, at least from the, the start and the bit that I've played, and the thing that is most emergent is just... You, you really do want to be in a situation that I had to completely clear out my head of what I ever expected the Zelda to be. Mm. I suppose that that's the thing. If I was going to come out of this to anybody to say... You must ways, unlearn what you have learned? In some ways, this should actually be the best first Zelda you could ever have in so many respects because you're so unencumbered by what you already know hmm. that everything doesn't feel unusual. But and I can imagine it being really difficult to then go to, say, Twilight Princess and go, oh, it's it's a bit like Breath of the Wild, but I'm in a corridor. Yeah, and that's a, I think that's a bit that I kind of really enjoyed the most, is going through a process where I could take my brain and go, throw this out. This is not, this is not the Zelda you know, and that's a good thing. That's mm. something that you should embrace. That's not something you should look at and go, I am due something that I have in my head. 
Mm. No, embrace it and run with it. More than anything else. Mm. Uh, two things that I will mention in this. The first is about the champions and their descendants. Mm-hmm. It's just a little thing that I found on Reddit that I thought was worth uh, noting. The champions are obviously from 100 years ago, and their descendants are people that Link comes to meet in the present. And they are mirror images of each other. They are almost clear opposites. Like Mifa of the Zora is very subdued and a little um, introverted, shy, maybe. And Sidon (laughs) is uh, kind of showy. I love that little flourish he does with his arm, that ching, and then yep. the t- teeth flash. That's a trademark anime pose. He is just bleeding self-confidence. Um, He's one of the, the characters flip- that I almost wish. Like, I, I love the isolation, but if I could travel with Sidon for a while, that would have been fun. Exactly. Um, Daruk of the Gorons is very strong and confident and brave. And Yunobo, his, his direct descendant, the polar opposite like he's he he's brave enough to do what you ask of him but he is very nervous about being put into any kind of danger Mm. urbosa of the gerudo very motherly matronly and riju is a little literal child (laughs) um oh speaking of which uh what's the uh, name of the uh the scientist lady who experimented on herself and then turned into a a six-year-old the one who keeps going snippity snap I can hear someone saying Pura and Pura right. <laughs> yes that's right that's yes that's right. she's wonderful I, I, there's a like an, an ancient philosophy that suggests that a a wise child is like the ideal being is someone who can approach the world with the energy of a child but the wisdom of uh, somebody ancient and Pura is exactly that I love her and uh, the Guru uh, you said the Garuda so it's the Rito would be the last one mm. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't really know much about Tiba, who is uh, Rivali's uh, opposite. Um, but I, I know that um, th- th- there are differences in there. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me Google what this, per- what this bird looks like. One of them's got to be a jokester, because oh, the yeah. ancient the one, one is, is very you, somber. Yeah, Tiba's the one that helps you fly up there, and mm. he's a, he's a, he doubts his abilities, whereas Rivali is super confident in got his it. abilities. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's just a neat thing about the the champions and their and their um, their descendants. Nice. Did anyone else get serious Falco Lombardi vibes from Rivali? Yeah. I call him Falco. <laughs> nice. I just want to give a, a shout out to shield surfing. Does anybody shield surf in here? Only no? when seal surfing. Oh, okay. If you um, there, there's a little combination of buttons you can do that you can uh, hop on your shield and then go down snowy mountains grassy hills and it is amazing it's one of my favorite uh ways to travel and i i, I go through a lot of shields that way i know really you can do it but i've i've never felt i've never had enough shield slots because i always try and max up my weapons to be able to spend a shield on a surfing experience but i've got to try it i've got to get oh, to the it. highest peak and then just surfs up big cut yeah it's so worth it it's so much fun 
I found myself with short surfing like because I foolishly was trying to get as much done in this playthrough as possible mm. which is again not the way that I, I would enjoy this game I found myself shield surfing down any any time I was heading vaguely downhill I would shield surf if I could um, but like the, the, I'm assuming the, you had the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack on repeat absolutely <laughs> 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 but, um, the, the other the other form of uh, I, I, I say discovered the other the other form of mobility I, I learned this time round is a speed running trick people called which is whistle sprinting uh-huh. which is if you keep spamming the whistle button or no if you hold down the whistle button uh-huh. for the horse and then just keep hitting the run button the sprint button rather than holding it down to keep on hitting it um, you don't use up stamina. You look stupid, but you don't use up stamina, and you can run for ages, providing you kind of you can arthritically kind of you know claw claw your hand around the Joy-Con in the appropriate way. I think I might do that if something big is chasing me and I'm running low on stamina. I'll run away from him, whistling all the while, just because it'll bewilder him. I mean, I always know that you know you get a blood moon and the enemies are gonna respawn. Mm. So that's um, the way of them cycling up in the uh, higher level uh, enemies. Again, it's one of those quiet things where they don't tell you exactly what's going on. It's big and dramatic, but that's what they're doing. They're switching out the lower level enemies or the absences of them because you've clobbered them already with higher level ones. And so what I, did, what I didn't know was that. Um, I mean, I know obviously, like you know, if I'm in the you know out in the world and I run across someone again, I can always uh, kill them again or whatever. What I never realized was that it also applied to uh, enemies in shrines because, you know, once you once you, once you complete a shrine, the only reason why I'm going back to it is just for fast travel purposes. <laughs> but I was like, you know, what what goes on in like, you know, I was like, does the, the puzzle reset or anything? So I went back to uh, one of the test of strength shrines. And oh, you can found them. Yeah, and the guardian will come back, and the guardian will respawn, and you can fight it again. So I was farming uh, guardians in the uh, in the uh, strength shrines, nice. so I can get parts for guardian armor yeah. and some uh, guardian weapons. Because other than the master sword, um, guardian weapons are what I prefer. Using ancient arrows makes them disappear to who knows where. That doesn't count as a kill. It doesn't give you experience. So I'm actually going to avoid using those. I found that I found that out uh, on a lino because I was like, all right, I got some uh, I got some ancient arrows and yeah, I shot the, and then I shot the lino and then he just went into oblivion. <laughs> and I was like, well, where's the, I was like, well, where's the stuff? I was like, he didn't drop anything. So, but but then it's in the description of the arrow. I didn't realize it's in the description that it's like a shot with this will send the enemy to literally oblivion. So, um, but yeah, I found out I could um, I can farm guardians in the shrine so I can get parts and stuff. Um, so that, that means that there's thing. a slight existential horror threaded through this game. Where are they going? Yeah, no, that that now that is something I do want to know. Like, what is like what is the Hyrule version of o, of Oblivion? Because it, it, the fact that it specifically says that in the description, it says it sends them to Oblivion. I was like, wow, that's that feels kind. That feels even darker than anything else that has uh, that's gone on. Um, the other thing is, and I'm not sure how many um, of you all have played um, the Champions Ballot uh, DLD. You got to go through three a bunch of shrines again, and there's one quest for each champion, and then you got to fight. You got to go back to the Divine Beast, and you got to fight the Ganon there again. Mm-hmm. Now I haven't actually finished it all. I, the only one I ever fought was um, 
uh, water by Gannon again. But when you get there, and I didn't know this, when you know, I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, I fought water by Gannon before. This is easy. I'll I'll knock this out. You get there, you don't have any of your gear, and you don't have access to your rooms. So when you get the water by Gannon, all you have is like one bow with like a rating of ten and like ten arrows. Hmm. Um, and then I then I saw the thing. Oh, it's the champion's ballot. And the cool thing about them, when I get to the other ones, you're playing as Link, playing as the champion when i had the bow with just 10 arrows that's all mifa had when she came across water by ganon in the divine beast 100 years ago so you're playing as the champion basically uh 100 years ago now the only thing i didn't like about that was just that um i think it would have been a much greater impact if you don't win the fight but you have to win you still have to win the fight though mm. so it can't be a little it can't be a little frustrating i did that on master mode which i probably won't fish the rest because you've got that health uh regen on master mode mm -hmm. and so i'm probably not going back to that but i just thought that was a uh, a very nice story touch that you are playing with the equipment that um like i haven't finished them all yet but you're playing with the equipment that the individual champion had um Gosh. when they faced ganon and ultimately failed this is like the zelda game for me like I, there, there are other zelda games that i fall in love with with the breath of the wild but like none of them i none of them were zelda games i played in bed while my newborn slept on my chest so like i i, I could i could go on about this like forever but just like this this feels like you know almost everything I've wanted in a Zelda game, even though it changes so many. I should hate the way this changes the formula because of how much I love the formula. Mm. I love the dungeon approaches. Like like Twilight Princess, I love the, the way those dungeons are paced in their narratives, and I and I adore like how Wind Waker has all of this, you know, all, all, all of this like companionable personality, and Breath of the Wild is like the opposite of, of all these games in so many ways, and and I fully understand, like, there there are people who just, like, don't get on with the mechanics of this. And, like, that's valid. I honestly don't know why the things in this game that should bug me don't bug me. Other than just, like, I, I don't know. It's just there's there's a sick, there's special sauce that just, like, really makes it all hang together. I'm going to say two things that I don't like and two things that I really do like. Um, Rain. Rain can fuck right off. I can't stand rain. I live in the rainiest place in the world and my body and brain react to rain like somebody who's allergic to shellfish just ate a fucking lobster. Like when I get rained on, I am just like a cat that's been thrown in a bathtub. I feel like shit. So when it's raining outside, I'm like, Oh, lovely. Inside, it's sunny, and I'm able to sort of walk around Hyrule. It's a lovely starry night. Starry, starry night. And then I'm just going to go to Thunder Plateau. I'll just go to Farron Woods. Or I'm just going to climb this mountain. off rain nobody likes you and i think the reason that i still need to find a good side to rain because all of the other things that we've talked about that are limitations that actually make things kind of more fun and more chaotic the amount that you slip down when you're trying to climb is so 
fucking frustrating that all the rain does is make your game more bad. <laughs> and I can't see a good side. If anyone knows a good side, please tell me. Nope, okay. And that sucks. But, on the other hand, the fact that you can climb pretty much anything and that there's so much topography in this, there is so much vertical mountain space to get up to, and they combine it perfectly with the glider so that you can you climb up and then you float down and just you know being able to, to, to get some air and to be able to look where you are is it's it's making good on the whole halo thing where you're like I, you see somewhere in the far far distance and you wonder if you can get there and you most of the time can in this game pretty much aside from the edges of the map where you can't you can get pretty much anywhere that's wonderful another thing that i love but also hate is the amiibos which hide within their plastic confines the classic zelda outfits and it is fucked that Nintendo attached the, like, the Ocarina of Time outfit, the Twilight Princess outfit, the weirdly a little bit too small like you're wearing your little brother's clothes Zelda, uh, Legend of Zelda or Toon Link outfit, to pieces of plastic that are no longer on sale, were no longer on sale back then in 2017 because you couldn't bloody find them. You definitely couldn't find them as soon as costumes were attached to them. And now it's like, I'd like to uh, get the Skyward Sword amiibo, please. Oh, £74 on eBay for the cheapest one. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Nintendo. That is mental. What we did was I got a bunch of amiibos in a kind of, I'll get this, I'll make sure we all get the outfits on our saves, and then I'll flip them on eBay and try to claw back as much as we possibly could and just let someone else have it because I'm not just going to put it on my shelf and never use it again. And that was great. And then we changed the Switch OLED. And everyone's saves but mine got white. And my save, with all with the uh, Zelda outfits, is right at the end. So I lost the outfits because of the way that the, uh, the, the transfer process works. And just... <sighs> I started another account under the dog's name. And I had... <laughs> a game going under indie and I had another game going under someone else and uh, if you are a collector of amiibos (laughs) (laughs) you were named after the dog he had um, uh, that KK Slider from uh, Animox against his uh, uh, avatar now it's Fox McCloud if you have a shelf full of amiibos that you are never getting rid of because you love them and because you spent £10,000 on them back in the day then these costumes are fantastic. It's a bit of a pain having only being able to use them one per day, but it's kind of cool because you don't get them all at once and you get like a manna from heaven gets dropped on you. If you're anyone apart from those people, <laughs> it really sucks that you have to kind of dye other clothes into an approximation of a classic Zelda outfit. Sharon tried and looks like Tingle right now. I made myself the green boy outfit. <laughs> but it, Alex is right. But yeah, I actually, I emailed, sorry, emailed, I mailed my Ocarina amiibo to James so James could have a full Ocarina outfit. I hope you still got it. I do indeed. In fact, I was using it on a... I, I, I gave up on my second playthrough ahead of this podcast and I just went straight back to my save and just put on the classic Zelda outfit on, on Epona and it's like, yes, this, nice. this feels like Zelda again. And yeah, Epona is tied to one particular amiibo. That's so cruel. And 
The other thing is that to actually upgrade these outfits, most of them require star fragments. And star fragment mining is Bonkers! You've got to get, like, go to the top of a mountain at a specific night and you've got to set a fire and you've got to wait and wait and, and wait and wait. You've got to be looking at the right look direction, the right direction see where it falls, get to the tower, in time. try to find it, running for star fragments. Oh! And then when you get to it, suddenly gravity takes hold of it and it starts falling into the sea! So yeah, the way the amiibos were handled and the way the costumes were handled there... I feel could have done with an elegant system that would allow you to somehow attain them through hard work. You know, if you get good enough, you can get maybe maybe even just one of the Zelda outfits that definitely resembles a classic Link. But the fact that you can't and they're all tied to Amiibos, it's fucked. And it, you can now get Dodgy Pirate for a similar like 60 quid. It's like a disc that you can program to be an Amiibo of your choice. And it's basically like you effectively pirate the Amiibos. And you know what? The way that Nintendo handled Amiibos and made it so that fucking scalp get them, but not people who love them. I'm fine with this as a thing to do. <laughs> Thank you. I, I made a mistake on my very first playthrough. I had Smash Brothers Link uh, Amiibo to get uh, to get Epona. And I was on the Great Plateau. I hadn't gotten the, uh, the paraglider yet. And I, you know... I got Epona on the Great Plateau, and oh. I was just like, and I was just like, I was like, okay, I was like, all right, well, no big deal. When I get off the Great Plateau the next day, I'll scan it. Never realized that uh, Epona is tied to like random number generator. So God knows how many times it'll take me to on my on my original save. It'll, God knows how many times it'll take me to re uh, uh, rescan it. To, uh, before I get opponent again. Holy you, shit. You should be able to go to any oh, of the, the horse stables. Lady. Yeah, you can go to the stable and ask for opponent to come back to your stable. It'll pull it oh. from anywhere on the map. One of the fairies is like a horse goddess, and she can like heal horses from the dead or maybe fetch yeah. opponent. The one in the absolute southern region. Been to the horse god, I just never, yeah. I didn't, didn't think of that. No, yeah, nor think of, when that happened, I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll just reread it the next day and I'll have her show up and I'll go to a stable. And, yeah, and then I kept getting like, Jeez. chest chest full of bananas. <laughs> have some bananas. I, I kind of want a horse. Have some bananas. <laughs> have some bananas. The one amiibo feature that is truly locked behind amiibo, because you can get a horse, you can get clothes, mm. right? Like, oh, hang on, is it the champions thing? Wolf Link. Oh, Wolf Link. Is, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a yeah. whole pet. There's a pet feature in this game, and that is completely tied behind the amiibo. The wolf will follow you and, um, like, help you fight bad guys and all this stuff. And Does it allow you to pet the puppers at the stables? I... No. <laughs> That's the worst thing. Like, I'm giving this game one star out of a hundred stars because you can't pet all those dogs. It's like being Superman. I have my cape, yet I cannot fly. The pupper is right there. He's rolled onto his back, for God's sake. He wants his belly scritching. Uh, <laughs> however, we have reminded me of one of the things that I really like. That all the fairies in this, as has been the case in some previous Zelda games, are giant women! Oh my god! <laughs> and they actually play into the giant woman kink as well. Like, they, they are making no boners about the fact that, uh, it's like, would it be cool if I swallowed you right now, Link? <laughs> that, like, they, like, Link's not into it, but uh, some of the players might be. 
And I love how uh, coquettish and, and flirty they are. And uh, I've really been sort of like collecting stuff and buffing up my uh, costumes in this one. Because it's like, wow, if I can't get the amiibo costumes and I'm not having to hunt for staff fragments, I'm going to just really, you know, f just get... I'm not going to cook much apart from the things that I know that the... Co She's not going to say, give me all the Hillian shrooms you've got. <laughs> And all, and all the the meat. I've uh, and and so just being able to buff your armor up and uh, to actually be able to withstand some of these bigger enemies because they can really mess you up before you start level. You know, uh, getting your armor done properly. And the other thing that I didn't know about until really recently, Stasis Two or Stasis Plus. The thing you get from Pura, who by the way feels like she might have been in Wind Waker. Like everything about her seems like she's from that game, uh, but. Yeah, Stasis 2. You can freeze enemies. You can freeze giant bokoblins and lionels in their tracks while they're racing at you. And it suddenly makes it that you just, you just like, he's bearing down on you. You just freeze him, then go around the behind and start poking him with a big fork. They, they add an extra string to your bow and make fights a lot more dynamic because you're still really in danger. As soon as you finish poking this thing and the stasis wears off, the Lionel will be extremely pissed off. <laughs> they they frown on that. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I'm going to say is uh, just looking around for fun gifts to uh, stick in uh, the tweets that I was sending you folks, I saw a very, very simple little thing that happened, which is that when Bokoblins lose their weapons, they'll stoop like a hobbit, grab a stone and chuck it at you. And the player in this gif was uh, just holding a torch that was unlit and just with perfect timing smacked the stone which flew back and hit the Bokoblin in the head. I love that. <laughs> and it's just moments like that that again bring delight while playing this game. And there are so many and so many that are just unwritten, unscripted. They, you, you make moments when, like, when you realize, oh my god, all the grass is on fire. And then you jump and accidentally start your glider and then soar upwards above whatever guardian was setting everything on fire and go, ah, I suddenly have a vantage point. I suddenly found an updraft. Speaking of setting things on fire, I managed to start a forest fire by mistake because I, I used my last arrow and didn't realise, and then it went straight to fire arrows. Right. And I shot a fire arrow at a bokoblin, which went on fire, right. and then ran around, setting fire to all the trees. Do you think that may have been the thing that happened when they were doing that uh, baby gender reveal party? They were possibly so. firing off fire arrows <laughs> as yeah. celebration, and then just to burn down California. Yeah. It's not sensible, don't do that. No. Also fun, and a very, you learn this the hard way, <laughs> is when you try to shoot someone with a bomb arrow, while in a volcanic area. Yeah, they immediately explode in your hands. It's crazy. That, I think that's it. Uh, we could talk about this all night, but it's now been two hours and 45 minutes, and we have to stop. But I have really, really loved all of this enthusiastic back-and-forth chatter uh, about this game. It's just, just playing this has revitalized how much I love this game, and I hope that the show reaches the ears of people who maybe gave up on it a while back and are like, maybe I should go back to it. Or played through once, loved the experience, but haven't played through in years. And we've, like, by now, if you've been at home listening to us on your phone, you've probably already started it back up again. <laughs> in which case, that's absolutely fine. 
And it's such a perfect podcast game where if you're like, you, you can just like fuck around while you're listening to a book on tape or a podcast mm. and like, eh, I'm just going to hunt for shrines or do the this or do the that. And it's, it is perfect for that. And the way we actually managed to, uh, to to get it to work for for both of us so that we could both play the hell out of it throughout this month, we got it on Wii U as well so that Sharon could play the Wii U version. Again, we, I might, we might flip it on eBay, but I feel like you're really getting into it now. So um, it plays differently on Wii U or just the, the general controller feels like different? Um, the, the controller feels very different. I have to say I prefer the Switch. I prefer playing it on oh, the absolutely, Switch. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the the frame rate is not brilliant on the Wii U and it is jerky. Right. I'll, I'll be in the middle of something and it'll freeze and then do that thing where it skips to a couple of seconds ahead and then you're like, oh shit, how am I here? Maybe if you play directly off the TV it'll be less so. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a far less um, high quality piece of kit that you're holding and it's being beamed a signal rather than directly being the thing playing the yeah. thing. Yeah, that's very true. But um, but yeah, the the whole sort of being able to play it on a small screen in my hands is is how I like Zelda best. Yeah. So there's a reason why almost all of the Zeldas at the top were handheld Handhelds, yeah. by design. Absolutely. Yeah. School of Movies is funded by Patreon. Our fifteen dollar sponsors get credit every episode. And this week, I'm going to read all of your names in the style of Link. So thank you too. You may be wondering how long I can keep this up. I can keep it up all day. I'm busy playing Breath of the Wild. I'm kidding. Okay. Thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandro Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Jorn Clawson, Joe Gluck, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vai, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Haskell, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu Hellas Hayu, Toby Skills Jungius, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. Okay, so I think that will about do it for Breath of the Wild. Before we go, would you folks like to plug your show or blog or something similar? We'll start with James Batchelor. Uh, as mentioned, I have a Bond and Beyond podcast, which, as you might be guessed, is about James Bond. We have finally started recording episodes again, so check out our feed and uh, you'll find some. May I also plug my books? Please plug your books. I've written books. Um, two, plural. If you go to jamesbatchelor.me, uh, you can find my books. One is Wandless. It's a, a low fantasy novella that uh, Alex very aptly described as X-Men meets the Bourne identity. Uh, and then my first full-length novel, novel, Blow the House Down, is a fast-paced action thriller set in a world where every character and every story is based on fairy tales, but with guns and magic as an, an addictive, expensive substance. I did not know this was out yet. I now need it, so I'm going to go get that. Brendan? Well, you can find me on Synapse, contributing to the uh, the, the Shawscope uh, roundtable reviews of the Shock Scope Volume One collection that Arrow Video pull, uh, put out with a 
whole bunch of Shaw Brothers classics of martial arts cinema and and other stuff. Uh, you can also find me uh, most recently uh, on uh, Matinee Heroes, uh, filling in to uh, talk about Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan, uh, which is very different from a lot of other Sam Raimi movies. But if you're looking for some Sam Raimi content to go with a, a certain strange doctor, uh, that'll uh, that that is content. <laughs> Very good movie. I don't want to ever watch it again. Yeah, wonderful, haunting Danny Elfman score that sort of makes me think of wintry woods all the time, but it's sad. Okay, uh, Eric. You can check me out on Photoflow, Terror in the Smiles. It's a podcast uh, my co-host and we do a, uh, a horror movie double feature uh, each week. Um, so you can check us out on Twitter, Photo Flow Terror. Photo, the word photo, F-L-O, Terror, all one word. Um, and I also do uh, some uh, writing on my own. Uh, if you want to check out any of my film writing, you can check out uh, medium.com uh, slash film dash cut. Film cut is the publication that I um will uh, submit my articles to on Medium. I'm going to fill the notes with links to what you folks have done, so uh, check the uh, notes in the description, folks, and you will be able to go straight to these things. And Name. It is an exciting time to be a Name right now. Uh, in about two weeks, I will be done with grad school, and I will, ha- be, I will have time for creative endeavors once again. Uh, I'm talking like my Twitch. I'm talking my let's play channel with my brother again actually writing uh so maybe the best place to go for updates would be my twitter at name the nerd there's going to be it's going to be a fun summer and derek uh, i literally have nothing to plug I, I i there's nothing happening at the moment so i would just say keep listening to this fine podcast instead oh thank you uh i think uh you folks can hear derek in future New Century episodes. He plays uh, McTavish in uh, Arlington, Steamheart. He's fantastic. And uh, he'll be in Back in Time Plus Space. And also check out our Resident Evil shows. If you like video games and you haven't heard our Resident Evil shows, I think, Derek, you've been on most of those? I think so, yes. Yeah. It's certainly the only one, certainly. Yeah. But yeah, we've done 1, 2, and Nemesis. And uh, yeah, those are some of my favorite games of all time. And uh, great, great episodes. Sharon and I will definitely be back with the Zelda series. Next time we will most likely, like I said earlier, be talking about the game I think might be the best starting place for anyone new to this series. I think, you know, you either go Breath of the Wild like... like uh, who said that? Was that Derek? Yeah, you said yeah. that, didn't you? Uh, you either go Breath of the Wild or you go the Switch remake of Link's Awakening, which is a charming, pretty, and accommodating adventure that basically gives you the classic Zelda style in a lovely, compact, and appealing version of itself. And it'll be over a lot quicker than Breath of the Wild as well. So that's another reason to like make that your first one. I wouldn't even say baby's first Zelda, but if you're a little kid, you can't really get something better than that unless you've got a 3DS and Link Between Worlds, which I am... That's too complex to be a first Zelda. Really? Painting mechanic is complicated. Okay, fine. You didn't like playing the spinach-coloured version, did you? You played the uh, the Game Boy version of uh, uh, Link's Awakening. Like, are you actually tiered them on the list as like the colour version, the DX one on and Game Boy Colour was better than that, and then the Switch version is your favourite apart from Breath of the Wild. So it was just climbing up the ladder. 
So until then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And it's dangerous to go alone. alone.